Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 113 of the Box Hard Podcast, also known as the Christmas Special for 2017. This will be a slightly different show to the usual thing that we do. So part one is going to consist of the reviewing. There's a little bit to talk about, I suppose. Then we're going to bring in guest number one. Part two will be um, a little part where we're just going to kind of dedicate it to the, you know, like the honours of the year, if you like, like those things that happen. For example, like the fight of the year or the fighter of the year or, you know, the top 10 pound for pound lists. We've got you guys to send in um, your choices as well. So we're going to read them out. I've got them all ready. Um, so, yeah, we're going to start with the reviewing. And, of course, the Christmas special shows that we've done. This is the third one. This is the third Christmas that we've done a Christmas special podcast. The very first one we did was when we had, I remember, we had... Prince Charles Martin, who was undefeated at the time, he was just about to fight for the uh, for the vacant IBF heavyweight world title in, in which he ended up winning. Uh, we also had Eric Molina on the show for the first time. I think at the time he had only maybe had one or two losses, but yeah, he was you know telling it his, his brilliant story about being a teacher. And then we had the Selby brothers on. We had Andrew Selby on the show, obviously undefeated, as he still is, just probably two or three fights into his pro career. He just turned over. And then we had our first current world champion on the show which was Lee Selby which was a fantastic interview I remember Lee Selby really kind of showed me his cheekiness I think Lee Selby's a really cheeky character and I said to him well you know I kind of asked him about him and his brother and what what can they both do in the sport something like that and I remember he said to me we're gonna be like the new Klitschko's and I said well you know, the Klitschko's were a bit big. And he said to me, yep, but we're a little bit smaller, a little bit better. <laughs> and he kind of said it so quick, he didn't even need to think about it. So, yeah, excellent stuff, man. So, the uh, the following year after that, by the way, I don't want to bore anyone. The following year after that, I think we had Hassan and Dam on the show. We had... Um that was also the show with David Avanesi and obviously two former world champions there. And then we had Tom Loffer on the show and we had a brilliant interview with Nonito Donaire. So that one was a really good show. So both of those shows there have had four guests on. So we're going to just see what happens this week. We're going to try our best to bring you as many as possible. But as there aren't too many you know, fights taking place in the coming weeks, it's pretty hard to find somebody relevant because we like to kind of speak to people that are really relevant in the moment rather than somebody who had a fight you know, a month ago or something like that. So we will see what happens, but there is 100% going to be an interview later on in this podcast, a really in-depth interview with a former middleweight world champion and a really, really good one. Not somebody who came along you know, had one good win and then disappeared. No, it will be it will be a really good fighter, believe you me. But let's get with the reviewing now. We're going to start last Thursday in France. One or two fights to mention on this bill. It happened over in the Palais des Sports, Marcel Sedan, if you don't mind me saying or trying to say. Um, 
On this bill, we had Oscar Rivas. He moved to 22-0. It was a points win over 10 rounds against Gabriel Nguma, who's now 8-4, um, and four, so not much going on there. But Oscar Rivas, I was saying last week, it's pretty weird that he actually came over to fight in France. He, if I'm not mistaken, is a Colombian by way of Canada, something bizarre like that. Um, yeah. So, moving up this bill, we have Johan Duapas. He picked up win number 37. He's carrying four losses also. He made his opponent retire at the end of eight rounds. His opponent was Nufel Uta, who is now 15-2. and two. I haven't heard of him, but he was down in round eight, and he decided to retire on his, on his store at the end of the eighth round, so he didn't come out for round nine. Also on this bill, even Mendy, he picked up win number 40. His record 40-4 and four with one draw, and he took on Jesus Arivalo, who is now 25-3 and three with one draw. It was a KO in round eight for even Mendy. Arivalo was cut over the left eye in the eighth round as well. He took a knee, and he was counted out. So he decided sort of to quit, but we're gonna we're gonna take the shine off that a little bit and just go with a KO win for even Mendy. Moving over now to Panama. One fight to mention over here, former foe of Javonte Davis, Francisco Fonseca. He's the guy that lost to Javonte Davis on the Mayweather McGregor undercard. He returned to the ring against Daniel Miranda. Um it was for the vacant WBO Latino Super Featherweight title, and Fonseca managed to get the TKO in round five. So Miranda's now 13 and 4, and Fonseca, pretty impressive record actually, 21 and 1 with one draw. Um, moving over now to the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, USA. What have we got on this bill? Two prospects managed to proceed with their unbeaten records intact. Joshua Franco, 13 and 0 now, he defeated Carl. Carlos Maldonado, who's now 9-2. and two. That was a unanimous decision over eight rounds. Also, Jonathan Navarro, he moved to 12-0. and 0, A unanimous decision over eight rounds against Nelson Lara, who's now 17-9 and 9 with four draws. And also, I should mention, Joel Gonzalez, he moved to 18-0. and 0. It was a KO in round three against Isayo Carranza, who's now 15-11 and 11 with one draw. Just three prospects there, simply getting pretty simple wins. Um, moving over now to the BB King Blues Club and Grill, New York. One fight to mention over here, the return of the ex-world champion, Dijon Zlatikanin, 22-1. He's now 23-1. It was a KO in round one against Hevinson Herrera, who's now 22-14 with one draw, so... That was his first fight back since being knocked out by Mikey Garcia. Later on in the show, we'll be discussing the knockout of the year. I'm pretty sure that a few people have gone with Zlaty Channing's, you know, his knockout defeat against Mikey Garcia early on in the year. Um, moving over now to Russia. One fight to mention on this bill. I haven't actually watched it. I've been advised not to. Apparently, it was really, really boring. Alexander Povetkin, he took... Christian hammer the distance all 12 rounds. It ended up being a wide points win for Povetkin. He's now 33-1. and one. Christian Hammer, you know, he loses at the top level once again. His record now 22-5. Um, yeah, Christian Hammer had a point deducted in round 7 as well for holding, I should point out. I don't know, you know, since, since Povetkin's come back and he's, you know, had to kind of really be quite careful... With, with what he's taking. And what I mean by that is, 
you know, it seems like he's fighting clean now. All of a sudden, the knockouts are not coming. I actually thought that he'd knock Christian Hammer out. So did you, Ayers, and so did our listeners. And we were all wrong there because the actual fight ended up going the distance. Um, that's really it. There's not too much to talk about. By all accounts, it was pretty boring. Um, yeah, moving up the bill, or not moving up the bill, moving over now to Wales in United Kingdom. Return of the former world champion Lee Haskins. His record now 35-4. and He got a win against Isaac Quay. That was a points win over six rounds. Isaac Quay, um, you know, he's, he's, he's a decent fighter to a certain level. His record's now 31-15 and with one draw. Um, Quay was actually deducted a point for ducking low in the fifth round and I think he may have even touched the canvas also in that fifth round so return there of Lee Haskins I like Lee Haskins he's been on the show a couple of times hasn't he I mean he's a nice guy but I really want to see him back properly if his heart is in it I think they're talking about some kind of um, IBF interim belt maybe being on the line for his next fight. I don't know if it's been confirmed yet, but that's what I'm hearing. Moving over now to the Pioneer Event Center in California, USA. Um, a couple fights to mention on this one as well. Return of the former world champion. Once again, I've said that about 10 times so far on this show. Jesse Vargas. This was his 30th fight and his 28th win. His record 28-2. and two. He took on Aaron Herrera. Herrera touched down in round 6. It was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds in favour of Vargas. Herrera now 33-8 and eight with one draw. Also on the build, John Molina Jr. He knocked out Ivan Redcatch in round 4. Ivan Redcatch now 20-4 and four with one draw. John Molina Jr., really a guy who, um, you know, he, he always comes to fight. He's a banger. He's always in exciting fights, most of the time anyway. His record now, 30 wins and 7 losses. But Molina was down in round 2. Redcatch was down in round 3. And um, in round 4, that was obviously where the fight ended. By all accounts, it was a very, very fun-filled action-packed fight. I might have to check that one out. Also on this bill, topping the bill, it was a bit of an upset here. Diego Chavez, 26-2 and two with one draw, took on Jamal James, who's 21-1, and one, now 22-1. and one. Um, Basically, what happened here, there was a knockout in round three in favor of Jamal James. Chavez was down and counted out from a body shot in round three. So really impressive stuff there from Jamal James. A lot of people were overlooking him in the build-up to this fight. I thought that it was a bit unjust, really. I thought that he probably... I'm not going to say I thought he was going to win, but I think he definitely had a good chance in there. I don't really rate Diego Chavez all that much, even though you know his only losses have come to former world champions. So, um, yeah, that's uh, no disgrace in that. Let's see how many times I can say former world champions on this show. Right, moving over now to the place bell in Lavelle in Quebec in Canada couple fights to mention on this bill. Our very own Nicola Adams proceeded to 3-0 with a TKO in round 3 against Soledad Macedo. A relatively easy win there for Nicola Adams. Apparently, um, apparently her opponent was really, really, really awful. I didn't really see much of it. I think they showed a few bits on the Box Nation BT Sport early on in the... Uh, you know, in the start of the actual telecast, it wasn't live, and um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't really something that I paid too much attention to. In all honesty, also on this bill, Cleta Seldin, twenty one and zero, took on Eves Ulysse Junior. Now, this was a really really interesting fight. The reason was because Cleta Seldin he'd fought a few weeks earlier. You know, he got he got another knockout win against a decent guy. I think it was Roberto Ortiz, maybe, and. 
Obviously, Yves Ulysse, who really impressed me when he beat Zachary Choa, but he'd only lost about five or six or seven weeks before, so I thought it was a little bit strange. I mean, when you look at that, there's a guy here that's 14-1, and one, and he's, you know, after five or six or seven weeks, he's then getting straight back in against a guy who can really bang 21-0, and 0, if I'm not mistaken, with 17 knockouts, Cletus Seldin. So I thought that was a bit of a strange piece of matchmaking, really. But this is what I saw from the fight. I mean, Cletus Seldin looked a little bit tense walking out. I noticed that straight away. And he also walked out to Hulk Hogan's ring music. I'm not sure why. Ulysses' speed was a real problem for Seldin. I mean... Straight away, it was very evident. Um, Ulysses really showed me some great feet. He was a brilliant, he's a brilliant, brilliant fighter. Really, really slick southpaw. Great judge of distance. Great counterpuncher. Great power, which was unexpected in some ways. And like I say, coming off a loss, what a performance. Apparently, though, because I didn't actually watch his loss, but apparently his loss was a really close one that he felt he won. So he kind of wanted to you know, go out and make a statement and end his year on a high, so to speak. So yeah, I mean it was it was it was a brilliant, brilliant win for him. Um Seldin was down in the first round, in the second round and in the third round, but I mean, when Seldin was, was down in rounds one and two, he, he didn't really seem badly hurt. His eyes were clear. He knew where he was. Seldin was cut between the eyebrows also in round three and down, like I say, in that third round as well, as I just said. Um, I mean, he got back up after the third knockdown. He grabbed Ulysses' leg, and then he put him on the floor. Um... He seemed really frustrated in there, but you couldn't really blame him. There was no dispute in that. Selden is a tough guy, but Ulysses' movement was just giving him too many issues, and he just couldn't cope with it. I mean, Selden's guard at times was like a cross-handed kind of guard, which was begging for a big uppercut, which Ulysses didn't really throw in the fight. But Ulysses' movement was excellent. Like I say, you know, he kept changing directions. Selden was... He wasn't even plodding forward at times. I'd say he was hobbling forward. He just looked he looked horrible on his feet, wasting energy, ducking and weaving from far out of range, trying to confuse Ulysses, and it just didn't work. But no, really, really good win there for Ulysses, or Ulysses, however it's said. He is now 15-1, and one, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. Cletus Seldin loses his O here. His record now, 21-1. and one. Also on the bill, Antoine Douglas, 22-1 and one with one draw, took on our very own, well, I say our very own, I mean that in terms of the podcast, he's, he's of course Irish, 26-2, and two, Gary Spike O'Sullivan, it was for the vacant WBO Intercontinental Middleweight title. Now, remember, we went to the predictions on this last week, and I simply went with Antoine Douglas because I think he was the favourite in the fight. He was a guy that, um, you know most people were going with and I simply went with him just to try to, to to try to just win a point on these prediction leagues and what basically happened is it all went wrong for me but I was happy anyway because Spike is a friend of mine of course but you I as went with Spike to win by knockout and also the listeners went with Spike to win by knockout so you've both gained a point there yeah, Antoine Douglas, I mean, he came out, he, he gave it a go. I think I've definitely got to rate his heart. It's definitely the first time he's really had to, you know, fight in deep water like that and, and you know, come up with the goods. And he did in some ways. I mean, you know, he fought back. He seemed to hurt O'Sullivan at certain parts of the fight. It was just an all-out war. O'Sullivan, you know, he likes to fight like that. He likes to turn fights into, you know, into into brawls, if you like. He likes to fight. He, he likes to fight. He's, he doesn't really like, to, you know, like the uh, the boxing 
second part of the game. He's more of a tough guy. He's more of a roughhouse kind of guy. And, you know, he did what he does, and he knocked him out in round seven. So very good prediction there from Ayaz and the listeners, and I wish I went with it now. And, of course, I wanted it to happen above all, but... um, yeah, I mean, he got the job done. It was a really exciting fight while it lasted. And uh, I think Antoine Douglas can come again. Some people saying, oh, that's it for him now. I think that's a little bit harsh. I mean, you know, he's still he's still pretty young. He's definitely younger than Spike. Um, you know, he's now 22-2 and two with one draw. He's fought a couple of good guys. And there's no real shame in losing to Spike, I don't think. I think just because if Spike beats you, it doesn't mean that you're a bad fighter. But, yeah, Spike lately has been looking really good. I'm really pleased for him. He's now 27-2. and two. Um, as I say, a TKO in round seven for Spike, and now the main event: Billy Joe Saunders, twenty-five and zero, defending his WBO world middleweight title against the banger David Lemieux, thirty-eight and three. A unanimous decision over twelve rounds for Billy Joe Saunders. He's now twenty-six and zero. He retains his WBO world middleweight title with another successful defense there. And David Lemieux, that's loss number four for him. He's thirty-eight and four inside forty-two fights. Firstly, I should mention the predictions. I went with Billy Joe to win on points. You also went with Billy Joe to win on points, I asked. But our listeners really let us down here. They went with Lemieux by knockout, which, of course, we all know didn't really look like it was going to happen at any point of the fight. But to be completely honest, I think the reason why there were so many votes for Lemieux to win by knockout was because his promoter actually retweeted it on on their page. So all the Canadian fans were voting for him. But, yeah, I mean, Billy Joe... He was incredibly sharp in the first in the first and second round, really, I thought. I think um, it was definitely a clear two rounds. The, the first two rounds were certainly very, very easy to score, very clear for him. I felt that Billy Joe was landing power punches, you know, mainly nice big lefts and straight lefts. Um, you know, he trapped Lemieux on the ropes at the end of the second round. He had him in a bit of trouble. Lemieux, you know, he kept falling short. He kept being made to pay as well. Saunders made Lemieux just miss constantly. And Lemieux just, well, not Lemieux. The Saunders looked exceptional. I mean, in the third, Lemieux got a little bit closer to the target, but still not enough to win the round in that round. Great movement, direction changes from Saunders. I had it 4-0 to Saunders after four rounds. You know, he was just brilliant. All the US journalists and boxers were taking to Twitter and giving Billy Joe massive credit, you know, like saying stuff like he's making Lemieux look like an amateur, that his offense was as beautiful as his defense, which is um, something that not many people say. And, you know, I think like the US boxers and US media have really bashed um, Billy Joe quite a lot, saying that he's a paper champion and he's been avoiding all these big fights and stuff like that. And it was good. It was finally good to see some appreciation for our champion because, you know, there's no there's no way that you can say that Billy Joe is not a top fighter, not a good fighter, or even somebody that avoids fights. I mean, he's 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 fought for all the ranks in his in his professional career, and I've got nothing but respect for Billy Joe. He certainly is a real exceptional fighter but I felt that round five was a you know that big miss from 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 Lemieux where Billy Joe put his glove on his forehead to look up in the sky because it missed by so far Uh, that was brilliant as well you know a little bit of showmanship there not too much of it I don't really like too much of that but yeah I mean Billy Joe hurt Lemieux in in the seventh round it was pretty early on it was a big big right hand it stumbled Lemieux and then he hit him with a left that stumbled him again later in the round Lemieux's nose was proper bloody from those from those shots there and if you actually see when billy joe hit him he hit him so hard that he's you know the blood actually spattered over lemieux's shoulder 
which was just mad, and it landed on his back <laughs> because of the punch momentum from Billy Joe. I mean, but all in all, it was an absolute clinic, a real shutout. Um, you know, from from a man that's like I say, severely underrated in Billy Joe. They say there's no such thing as perfection in life. They do say it. They say there's no such thing as perfection, but that for me was the closest thing to it. I mean. The first eight rounds were brilliant. I think I think I probably gave Lemieux maybe one or two rounds at an absolute push. But yeah, for me, I don't know, man. It, it was it was a it was a masterclass. Saunders was beating him up. He was looking amazing. He knew he needed to win it wide, by the way, and that's another thing. I think he went in there very very switched on. He knew he had to win it wide because he couldn't risk any kind of dodgy judging when it you know when he's away from home, especially in the home of of David Lemieux in in an arena like that in a city like that. But no, I think I think honestly, I think Saunders the better the fighter, the better his performances. I, I mean, his last good performance, like I've highlighted a few times now was against Andy Lee since then the two fights he's had he hasn't really looked too good and this was apparently going to be his toughest test and I think we all agreed on that but I, I don't know I just I think that he he looked his best he, he, he really did it was the best I've ever seen him Dominic Ingle I think's probably been making him watch some of those old Prince Naz tapes because he was just you know really flashy in there really 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 exciting which you don't really say too much about Billy Joe but no great jabs great movement kept popping Lemieux's head back with jabs constantly absolutely walked it to be honest scorecards weren't really great but yeah, he's made a defense of his title on the road against a legitimate threat, and he made it look like a cakewalk, to be completely honest. So, brilliant, brilliant win there for Billy Joe, as I've said. And, yeah, Lemieux, of course, we can't say too much more on him. He's a good fighter, but it just wasn't for him last Saturday night. What did you make of it, Ayaz? Billy Joe and David Lemieux, what a clinic. What a fight. Well well done to Billy Joe Saunders. This is one of the best fights I've seen for a British to go, to go abroad and beat up an actual champion. A lot of people got, a lot of people had David Lemieux knocking this guy out. It's like boxing versus a punch-up, boxing versus a punch-up. I've never seen Billy Joe Saunders fight like this before, to be honest. I remember when he was fighting with Jimmy Tibbs, and I remember he used to like box and move, and the shape that he was in. Now, if you look at it, yeah, from the start, Billy Joe was like boxing him, like outboxing him, outboxing him, outboxing him. There was a couple of times where he, I remember he did the Muhammad Ali shuffle. That was brilliant. That made me laugh when I saw him do that. I was like, yes, this is brilliant. And you can see him. He busted David Lemieux's knob. Like, David Lemieux tried for a, um, tried for a right hand, yeah? And then, and as you, as you said as well, uh, David, uh, Billy Joe looked to the sky. I was like, nope. Uh, at one point, yeah, I actually thought Billy Joe was going to stop him. Like, David Lemieux wasn't throwing nothing. But let me, I can tell you one thing, yeah? I remember watching the fight, yeah? Um, like, I remember 12 months ago, in this very time, yeah? December 2016, he fought Arthur Akekov. Now, in Glasgow, I thought Billy Joe Saunders was going to lose that fight. It was Billy Joe Saunders. He didn't, have, he didn't look right. He didn't have no Jimmy Tips. He had no trainer. He had Danny Vaughan in his train in his corner at that time. Now, you look at it, yeah, 12 months later, he, fights, he goes and fights David Lemieux. I'm out and annihilates him in Canada. Now, now you look at him, yeah? He's, he's going to... I have to give Billy Joe Saunders huge credit. He's gone and actually beat a world... A big name in David Lemieux. If you look at David Lemieux's interview, right, he says, "Oh, I hurt my hand. Um, I hurt my hand after the second round. He was running around. He's like, I wanted, I wanted to have a fight with, proper fight with him. This wasn't a fight. Billy Joe was running around. Billy Joe, I boxed you, and you couldn't do nothing. But, but let me say, big credit to Billy Joe Saunders. And now he's in a. I want him to see him. I want, I want him in another big fight. 
Danny Jacobs says in April he's coming to fight in April and he was fight Billy Joe Saunders. To be honest, I don't think that fight's going to happen. I think he'll fight someone else, Billy Joe Saunders. And I want him to, I want him to fight Golovkin because I think he'll give Golovkin trouble. I think he can outbox Golovkin. Yeah, it seems kind of crazy. If you'd have said that last week, everybody would have laughed. But now everyone's like, oh, yeah, he's he's got a point there. You're right. He absolutely annihilated Lemieux, like I say. Lemieux in the post-fight interview was, um, you know, real... A real example of bad sportsmanship, a real example of a bad loser, and you know he just couldn't face up to it. I think maybe because the you know the the build up to the fight was quite bitter. I think that Billy Joe really got inside his head, and I don't really think that Lemieux's really used to that kind of thing. They didn't even give Billy Joe a, a press conference after the fight, which they definitely would have done if Lemieux become champion. Let me tell you. So. Anyway, it was what it was, but no, brilliant, brilliant win. Like I say, I can't hype it up enough. I'm so happy, and you're right, it was one of the best performances from a British fighter, certainly overseas, but definitely this year, all in all, it was an absolute brilliant, brilliant, dominant performance from one of our best fighters here in the UK. But anyways, moving over now to France, just a couple of other bills to go over. Um, we're going to start with Willie Hutchinson. He moved to 2-0. and He knocked out... Um, Cyril Jolie, I think it may be said, who's 4-7 and seven now. It was a TKO in round 2. Willie Hutchinson, he's had two fights. He's only gone three rounds now. He's, his first fight was um, was a first-round knockout. His second fight here, a second-round knockout. Maybe his third fight may be a third-round knockout. We'll have to wait and see. Also on the bill, moving to 3-0, the Olympic gold medalist from 2016, Tony Yoka. He defeated Ali Baghouz, who's 10-1 and one with one draw. Well, he's now 10-2 and two with one draw, but yeah, TKO in round two for Tony Yoka. Moving over now to Germany. Strange fight here. Avni Yildirim was back in the ring since losing to Chris Eubank Jr. He got in against a guy called Attila Calder, who was 13-6. and six. He knocked him out in the first round, so Avni Yildirim now 17-1. and one. He just had to quickly get that win just before the year ended, just to end it on a high. Um... I forgot to also mention that Lemieux is also a former a former world champion. Just trying to say it as many times as possible here. Um, also, moving over to Ukraine, there was a fight or two to mention over there. Um, what do we have? Oleg Malinovsky, he moved to 22-0. It was a knockout in the first round against David Berner, who's now 13-2. and And Malinovsky successfully retained his WBO European featherweight title. Also, Dennis... Berincheek, he is now 8-0. He fought for the vacant WBO Oriental lightweight title against Alan Valaspin, who's now 11-2. But I'm just saying, really, the reason why I'm mentioning this is because Malinovsky, I believe, is going to be uh, you know, a decent fighter soon. I think he may become a household name. And also Dennis Berincheek as well. So, yeah, just thought I mentioned that one there. And also... Um, Berincheek getting the KO in round 6. He had his man down also in round 5, I should mention. And coming down to the final bill, if I'm not mistaken, um, in the Oldham Leisure Centre, Natasha Jonas moved to 4-0 and with a TKO in round 2 against Katarina Vistika, who only had one win. She's now 1-10. and So, like I say there, a TKO in round 2 for Miss GB, Natasha Jonas. Um... I think that may be all, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just double check. Um, yeah, that is that is pretty much all of it. So before we wrap up part one, there's one last thing to do, of course, as always, and it's to welcome guest number one.
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former professional fighter, promoter, manager, historian, and most important of all, the best-dressed man in boxing, Mr. Spencer Fear. And Spencer, welcome to the show. How you doing, Joe, man? Thanks for having me, man. What's going on? It's my pleasure, my man. It's my pleasure. It's your debut on the show. I mean, we've been doing it over two years now. I really should have called before at some point. My apologies. No, it's all right, man. Don't worry about that, man. You know what I mean? That's cool, man. That's cool. Right, so Spence, obviously, you know, this is the Christmas special show. We're coming to the end of a, of a brilliant year for boxing. Obviously, there's no there's no big fights coming up, you know, in the, in the next couple of days or so, because it'll be the end of the year. But this year's been brilliant. What's been some of your best fights this year? Um, some of my best fights this year, um, Cobbler Ward 2. That was a very, very good fight for me. I, I really did enjoy that fight especially um, a lot of people naysayers being on top of saying like Cobbler um, didn't win the first fight I thought he did win the first fight but I can understand why people didn't see him winning it and just seeing how he just beautifully just dealt with Cobbler hurting Cobbler badly before stopping him um, that would stand out the um, to see Terence Crawford become a undisputed um, four belt holder in the 140 division, that was superb to me as well. Um, seeing the mastery magic of Lomachenko in in his fights that he had, um, that was really, really cool. Unfortunately, um, Rigondo quit. You know, and it seems like he's just got the blueprint of making guys quit because he did that with Nicholas Waters the year pre- previous. So um, that was that was pretty neat as well. And, I mean, Andy Joshua versus Klitschko. That, you know what I mean? Uh, that fight against Vladimir Klitschko was like the standout thing of the year when you want to say for a boxing match. Plus, you had two big guys throwing bombs at each other. One guy getting knocked down. And when he got knocked down, he had to use the old adage of uh, motivational speaker Les Brown. When life knocks you down, try and land on your back. Because if you can look up, you can get up. Anthony Joshua did that and some came back beautifully and won the fight. That was that was that was a beautiful that was really, really we had some great we had a great we had a great run of fights in twenty seventeen and may it continue in twenty eighteen and I'm pretty much sure that it will. We certainly hope so. I want to throw a few fights at you um, that could potentially happen next year, but also fights that have been made. So um, it's going to be a little, of, a little bit of fantasy in some ways and a little bit of reality, if you like. So I want to start with this one. I think this is a brilliant fight. I'd certainly love to see it. It's being spoke of right now, but nothing uh, has come to fruition as of yet. Dillian White against Huey Fury. That's a really good fight, in my honest opinion. It is a great fight. That is... <laughs> That is a really, really good fight. But the thing, I'll tell you what's going to make this fight uh, interesting and why I would slightly favor Dylan White in that fight because um, Fury Fury's got brilliant feet and he boxes, but it doesn't seem like he's got much of a dig on him. And I would favor Dylan White to tough it out, uh, to bring him in the trenches, even though Dylan White's not a concussive puncher, but he's a hurtful puncher. And I'll have Dylan White winning that fight to tell you the truth. Okay, fair enough. Obviously, one that's been made now, the rematch. I know that uh, Tony Bell, you was on your show, your own your, your own podcast, uh, just yesterday. I listened to that last okay. night. Um, Tony Bell, you did a really good show, rematch. man. It yeah, was. I mean, I love Tony Bell. I'm being real, and Tony Bell, being 
who he is. He's WYSIWYG. You know what I mean? What you see is what you get. And and I rate the guy. I rate the guy for the simple fact of him being involved in 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 the sport and looking at okay, I'm gonna box at heavyweight, but I know my limitations. But I can box guys who used to be down at the weight that I was just campaigning at and became a world champion at in David Hay and a grudge match. So things have been very, very strategic with Tony Belly. Um, and there isn't no love lost between the two guys. You heard him on the podcast yesterday. There wasn't no, no love lost between the two guys. But I'd like to know if the wear and tear hasn't caught up with David Hay. If the guy was constantly injured on numerous times. Pulling, I remember him pulling out of the Tyson Fury fight, pulling out of the Manuel Char fight. You know, they, they, I mean, there's a blueprint to it. You know I mean, him him getting injured off this last the last fight uh, when the fight was properly scheduled for. So this just shows that David Hayes got wear and tear and real mileage on the clock. So David Hayes not the fighter of yesteryear. So we're looking at this David Hayes of the fighter yesteryear. There's one thing that fighters can't be, and that's father time. And worse than that, father time. But father time with injury, it's even going to be harder to break. So I got Tony Bailey winning that fight. Yeah, I think there was a statistic that came out. I think it was something mad, like I think maybe David Hayes pulled out something like three of his last six or something like that. And well, only, the last fight, only the last fight that he had, I'd just say. Obviously, you know, rumours were coming round on fight week about the Achilles injury that he never, you know, he, he said it was an, he said it was just rumours and then it seemed... No, like no, listen, I knew, I knew, no, no, I knew, I knew that David Hayes was injured mm-hmm. and flew out of the country three days before the fight. Right? That's ludicrous. You just got to be real. So was that a desperate man trying to hold on to money? I don't know. I don't know David A's financial predicament. You know what I mean? I wish him all the best because I've known David since he's been a kid. So that's not me trying to disrespect him in any way. You know what I mean? But what I, what I do know is if that it has been the case and you have been injured and people close to you have told me that David Hayes fighting for the wrong reasons, whatever they may be, right? Now, all of a sudden now, when David Hayes was going up for this fight, everyone's talking like, oh, David Hayes going to kill Tony Bailey. David Hayes going to do this. The same guys who were telling me years prior that David Hayes shouldn't be fighting no more. He's fighting for the wrong reason. Do you understand? But because of their love for David Hayes, and this is what I'm trying to say, sometimes when you're judging things like Joe, you've got to take emotion out of the picture. Do you know what I mean? Take emotion out of the picture. Be, be detached from that emotional state of comfortability or sometimes discomfort because sometimes you're emotionally attached to something but it's actually hurting you that you're emotionally attached and if you could do that then you're judging things correctly then I can roll with you and listen to what you've got to say but there's a lot this is the game I'm saying like people people don't want to talk the truth they don't want to talk the truth because it isn't it isn't a sweet taste of the truth is sometimes very very bitter you know what I mean the truth is like cod liver oil we used to have to drink when you was a kid you knew it tastes disgusting, but it was doing the right stuff in your stomach to clean out certain toxins in you. And certain people just need to just be truthful and like drink that cod liver oil before they speak. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, I think Tony made a great point yesterday. Um, obviously, you know, on the podcast, he said that if it would have been Joshua he was fighting, he wouldn't have took the fight. He simply thought that he could beat me with this injury. I think that was a great point. But anyways, moving yeah, on to true. the next fight. Moving on for the next fight I got for you now. This is this is one which I think you may struggle to 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 pick a winner in. Derek Chisora versus David Price. Derek Chisora win that fight. Is it Simple happening? 
Is it happening? No, 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 no. It's not happening, that one. That's just one of my no, fantasies. This is what we're going to fight. You know why? Because you're dealing with, what was it, Marcus Garvey in the 40s said that without confidence, you're twice defeated in the race of life, but with confidence, you have won it before you started. I will believe that there's still more fight left in Derek Sazora, and I would have Derek Sazora winning that fight on the simple fact that I know David Price has confidence issues. And and because he's got confidence issues, and Derek Sazora believing that this would be last chance salute for him after losing his European uh, uh, title challenge, that he would go and try and grab this with two hands. And he's not a concussive puncher, but he hits hard enough. And I'd think that Derek Sazora would 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 stop David Price. It's a shame with Price. I think, like you say, yeah, of the confidence issues, he'd be he'd be a real force. This one, well, is I remember, happening. I remember, I remember um, his former trainer Dave Caldwell pulling out what little hair that he had, being confused about, you know, what I mean, trying to get through to David Price. But and a lot of that could be just mental issues. But we've known for a long, long time that David Price can't exactly take it on the chops, and that's not me disrespecting David Price at all. Do you understand? But I think a lot of those, those issues have got to do with his confidence. And to fight someone like a Derek Zora, David Price is a man that jabs and bounces around the ring. He come forward. So if you're going to come forward, well, thing we do know, um, there's only David Hay that could stop Derek Zora. Derek Zora can take it. We know that he can take it. And for, even though he's got long arms, but you have to be in range to to let off those shots. And when you're in range, even though he's got, even though David Price has got longer, he's got elongating reach. Um, you're still going to be a punching range for you to take that one. And I think Derek Chazora knowing that all I've got to do is hit this guy. Um, I think that I'll, that's why I would lean to Derek Chazora for that fight. And this one here is happening. The press conference was today. Um, obviously, oh, I was down there. Of on the, in t- oh, you was there. In terms of, of on the road, it's Hackney versus Brixton. Two undefeated cruiserweights. One, you know, with the, with the highlight. I suppose amateur pedigree coming through Lawrence Ocoli, and then the underrated guy, but the guy that does it very much under the radar in the gyms with with these top fighters, Isaac Chamberlain. What a fight! I, I, I love it. It's a great fight. Isaac Chamberlain is not underrated. Isaac Chamberlain is actually the betting favorite going into this fight, so really? he's not. I haven't seen yeah, he's that. a betting favorite. Yeah, he's a betting favorite. Um, and when you speak to most people, um, I remember last year. This last year, sorry, earlier this year, they did a. Um, Gloves are off. So Gloves are off was filmed early this year. May about, maybe about, I don't know, September times. They were saying, why are they filming that? Why are they filming the Gloves are off now? Why they? Because they knew this fight was going to happen. They knew this fight was going to happen. Do you understand? And maybe it was like a little test. Let's just put a little feeler to see how they're going to feel in front of that camera speaking back and forth to each other. And let's build this into British beef, as Eddie Hearn has called this fight. I, I rate the title. But I would rather call this is this is more um, ugusi, which is Nigerian, which is a Nigerian dish for meat, which they use on the sauce, or or um, uh, pili pili. And pili pili sauce is what um, people from Isaac's um, home country of Zaire, you know, I mean the Congo, which they eat, which they put on top of their meat. So I think it is British beef, no doubt, one hundred percent. But it's what taste or flavouring that you're going to put on top of it. Jonathan, and I'm telling you that um, Uguse is very, very peppery, and so is um, Pili Pili sauce, which comes from which comes from Isaac Chamberlain's um, 
um, home continent. So it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be pepper. Trust me, it's going to be pepper. Obviously, um, I mean, Akoli obviously nicknamed the sauce as it is. So I suppose he's got one foot in the door, if you like. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who do you who who do who do who do you pick to win that fight? If I, can, I, if I can that's the thing right now, there. right now, right now, right now, I I don't pick anyone, and the reason why because you got they got too much to the fight. And when you're dealing with when you're dealing with unbeaten fighters, um, you don't think that you can lose because you're unbeaten fighter. You do not think that you can lose, especially like you, you no matter what's happening in your amateur career or anything else. When you turn pro, you clean the slate. It's like all your sins have been washed away, and you've started again. So when you're dealing with two unbeaten fighters, both of them will want it. It's going to be down to the corners. And when I look at the corners, I look at Ted Bammy, who was a beautiful individual, and my old club mate, we used to be in the same gyms together when we was fighting pro. Um, Ted Bammy has got to deal with the pressure of the occasion. Ted Bammy's never been in that situation before. You know what I mean? Uh, and you're going up against a man who's been, who's, who's been a, in Brian O'Shaughnessy, Who's been through the mill? Who's worked in corners? Who's had um, champions right throughout the amateurs? So when you're looking at something like that, now this is what makes this fight so intriguing. And I think a lot of the fight is going to be won by the corners. Just how Ted Bami deals with the right coming in with a great game plan, and to see what um, Brian O'Shaughnessy comes with his game plan. So for that, you would ask to slightly tip it over to Lawrence Coley's side, but on the reals. Skills pay the bills. Heart plays a part. Isaac has shown me both. He's shown me that he's got skills because he has got skills. As a, he's an avid watcher and studier of Mike McCullum and James Tony, right? And and Lawrence O'Coley is a little bit is a little bit raw, but Lawrence has thirty minutes of fighting. All right, thirty minutes of fighting, forty minutes in, in total with the rest to detonate his right hand. And if, and if he can do that, then he's going to win the fight. And if Isaac can be smart, he could take um, Lawrence maybe to late rounds and maybe stop him. So it's a, it is actually a pick and fight. And I'd rather like to make uh, my decision on who's going to win the fight closer to the fight. Okay, okay, fair enough. I mean, it's, it's it's a brilliant fight. I'm just happy it's been made. Um, another one I want to throw at you. Um, we got to try to go through these a little bit quicker because there's a couple here. Um. Right. Anthony Yard versus Frank Buglioni. Are you for real? Does, why does anyone think this is a fight? That's a know. disrespect. Who, who, no, 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 I'm just being real. You know what I mean? I'm just and you know, you know the nonsense that I usually get. Oh, yeah, Spencer always picks black fighters. Oh, yeah, I'm getting sick and tired of that because Ricky Burns looked very black against him and Dongo, and I had him winning that fight hands down. You never, <laughs> right? Just people just cut that bullshit right out because I find it very, very annoying. Um, I'm gonna tell you this now: Anthony Yard would would beat up Frank Buglioni. If Frank Buglioni could fight Craig Spider Richards, and Craig Spider Richards had something like four days' notice or five days' notice, there was a short a space of time, and Craig could go twelve rounds with you. Craig Richards, who's not known as a puncher, I love Craig to death, who's a super middleweight at the time, Craig could take you twelve rounds. And you were in training camp for weeks knowing that he was going to fight. And Iyad would walk through you in less than five rounds. And that's no disrespect to Frank Bugaloni because I like Frank Bugaloni. And allegedly, I've heard that Frank Bugaloni has been offered 200 grand from BT to fight Anthony Yard, and he ain't signed the contract. That's unheard of money because I know that he never got that money when he fought for his world title. 
I guess shooting them. So therefore, what's going on there then? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, firstly, I, I love Yard to Pieces. He's he's one of my best friends in boxing. But I mean, I, you know, he looks the real deal, doesn't he? he? Looks amazing. Looks, you know, he looks. Yeah, like God, what's the butt? Tell me what's the butt, Joey. The butt. What's the butt? what's the butt? The butt is his best opponent was the last guy that he stopped and looked impressive. I was there ringside, but he hasn't. I don't know. He hasn't really got the name or the legitimate threat on his record yet. Okay, and what? Okay, and what legitimate threat and name is on Frank Bugloni's record? Well, obviously, I mean, he lost to Chudinov. I think that was that was a threat there. I think Jose Burton was very much a threat. And yeah, let's be honest, Jose Burton was winning until he got stopped. I don't know. I think he's just a little bit more seasoned as a pro. Frank. Brother, 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 brother. Are you not listening to what I just said to you, Joey? The man went twelve rounds with Craig Spider Richards. Yeah, Craig I know, Spider. I know, I know. That's but, it. But, that's it. That's you know. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to, seriously about and like. And if Andy Yard is one of your closer, I, want, I hope that Andy listens to this show. I hope he's going to listen, <laughs> to this, right? I hope he listens to this, right? Okay. Because I'm telling you straight, I'm telling you straight, standard. Yeah, what Andy Yard is bringing to the table in the fact of punch dexterity, variety of punches. You know what I mean? Aptitude in depth of punches. The girth of knowledge that he has and his relationship that he had with his trainer, Barbatundi Ajayi, that they fight on muscle memory. Hence why good trainers don't need to talk on their corner. They hardly speak because they know what they got to go and do. Do you understand? And I'm telling you this now, Frank Buglone is a cool guy. I love Frank. Love so I don't, don't think Frank, don't, I don't want Frank thinking like I'm trying to gang up on him or anything else like that. I'm just telling it how it is. You know what I mean? I've got to tell the truth. I told you, I'm, I'm, you got to be like cod liver oil, man. You can be better to the taste, but I'm good for you. I swear to God, I'm good for you. And Iyad, you still go about his last fight. His last opponent, right, went, went 12 rounds with, with Stieglitz for the European, the European the lineal, for the lineal European title. Went 12 rounds and got a draw. Are you listening to me here? Anti yeah, Yard blitzed this guy inside. Wait there, Anti Yard blitzed him in five beautiful. rounds. Wait there, Anti Yard blitzed him in five rounds. So when we're going to talk about oh, but there's levels, and he has yeah, but I said he blitzes him inside five rounds. I'm saying oh, it was right. four rounds that he stopped him, right? So I'm saying when people want to talk about Anti Yard, like oh well, he ain't fought nobody. Hold up, he's beating everyone else that you everybody else he's beating. They've been with other guys, Anti Yard beating them better than what what the other guys are beating who are ranked higher than him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I mean, and let's be real now. On Boxrec, on Boxrec, they've got him anti Yard as the number one light heavyweight in in the country. Yeah, I mean, no, look, I, I think it's, it's it's a brilliant fight if it does happen. I, I mean, anti Yard, anti Yard, seriously, anti Yard, and so do I. I like, no, I want the fight to happen. Actually, to tell you the truth, I don't sit now saying I don't want the fight to happen. I want the fight to happen, and I'm telling you this now that anti Yard would would annihilate, annihilate Frank Morgan. But yeah, talking of box rec rankings, um, not that I, I give them much credibility. Do you know what their top ten pound for pound rankings are right now? I just pulled this up a moment ago. I, may, I don't know, God. If you want Lomachenko. some comedy, hear this. No, no, no. Number one, Canelo. Number two, Lomachenko. Number three, Golovkin. Number four, Crawford. Number five, Rungvasai, the guy that beat Chocolatito. Number six, Joshua. Number seven, Miguel Burchelt. Number eight, Furman. Number nine, Lewis Neary. And get ready for this. Number ten, Jeff Horn. What's going on? 
<laughs> yeah, but they do it by a point system. So sometimes by only a point system may not make sense to you guys, but to them it makes sense. But I'm talking when it comes to the ranking of um, British fighters, then I'm rolling with what they're going with on the fact when they've got um, Andy Yard at number one. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Right. All right. Um, I know that you've picked Eubank Jr. to beat George Groves. I'm not going to argue that too much, but if if he comes through that fight, if Callum Smith comes through Bramer, which we expect, but that's no given also. Callum Smith. Yes, he is. Versus... Callum Smith will get through. It's going to be Callum Smith and Eubank Jr. in the final. Who wins that? That's, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a hard fight because Tony Bentley was kind of bending my arm yesterday. So I'm adamant yeah. that Eubank Jr. will win that fight. I'm right adamant that Eubank Jr. will win that fight. Um, but Tony Bentley was saying, have you seen the size of him? Have you seen the size of Smith? How massive he is? The punches that Smith throws, how hard he is when he throws his shots. I'm saying, yeah, but I wasn't too impressed with his Scogland performance. Me neither. Right. And because of that, and I'm seeing Eubank Jr. is looking on fire right now. The Yordan win, that was very, very impressive. And remember, he got given Yordan. He didn't choose Yordan because he wanted to get into the competition and say, well, you got to fight this guy who nobody else wanted to go and fight. And we saw what Eubank Jr. done to him. Yeah, fair enough. He was definitely a dark horse in the tournament, Yildirim. Talking of Yildirim, he also had a fight this 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 weekend, just gone on Saturday. He had a fight. He come back against a journeyman, knocked him out in the first round. But it is what it is. Um, yeah. I'm guessing you you saw Billy Joe's performance over Lemieux. Beautiful a lot of people now talking. Oh. Beautiful, beautiful. A lot of people now talking about him and Danny Jacobs. I know Danny Jacobs is one of your favourite fighters overseas. Um, what's your what, what's your take on that fight? Who'd win that, Billy Joe and Daniel Jacobs? BJ against DJ. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great fight. And on a performance that Billy Joe just performed the other day, that you'd have to slightly favor Billy Joe Saunders, mate. And that's the rules. You'd have to slightly favor him. But like I said with Danny Jacobs, if a man could beat cancer, he could be anything, right? And right, and he he is a superb athlete and a superb boxer. But this is the thing that it goes. It's like we're looking on Billy Joe saying, oh, how fantastic he is and how great he is because we did worry about him fighting David Lemieux because we know Lemieux can lick. Do you understand? He can punch like a dick. Oh, mate. But he took him to school. And the best thing about it is this is now that he is coupled with Dominic Ingle and he's down in the Winkerbank gym, he's going to do Winkerbank magic. And that's how it goes, because that is the most suited place. Mark and Jimmy Tibbs were not suited for him as trainers. And that's no disrespect to Mark, because they're excellent trainers. But they weren't suited to his style. The Harold Graham, Bomber Graham style is suited to the style of a Billy Joe Saunders. And Billy Joe Saunders has gone there and he's mastered that style. And, and usually it takes five fights for a fighter to start bringing out that kind of magic when you get a new trainer. And he's managed to do that within two fights. So if he's managed to do that within two fights, what is it going to be like three fights down the line working with Dominic Ingle? It's just going to be a nightmare for guys. A nightmare. I will be later on in the show, I'll be speaking to Kelly Pavlik. It's, a, it's an interview I did um, a couple of days ago that's going to be on the podcast later. And in that interview, I just want to ask your opinion on this. Kelly Pavlik watched the fight and he believes that, and this is how he described Billy Joe, he said that Billy Joe Saunders is, he just completely reminds him down to a T of Sergio Martinez, but a little bit of an unpolished version of Sergio Martinez. What's your thoughts on that? Um... 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I think Billy John's got a better balance than Sergio Martinez. Sergio Martinez had that kind of giddy style certain times when he was doing things, you know what I mean? Um, but I can understand where he's going with it. I can understand him because he did box Sergio Martinez. Um, but I think um, Billy Joel is an enigma to himself, let alone anybody who's fighting him. And but now he's believing in himself, and we're going to see we're going to see even more stuff. But I wouldn't say that I can understand because the stance and everything else of, of Billy Joel Saunders. But I think when you look on someone like Martinez, Martinez was superb. Yeah, I mean, his injury what what messed that guy up. He was absolutely superb, and he could bang. Billy Joel couldn't bang like Martinez, right? But, uh, Martinez could punch. You saw what he done to Paul Williams. Do you mean the guy could bang? Um, yeah, sure. So yeah, I, I mean, I hear I hear what Kelly Pavlik's saying, but I will slightly, I could, I understand it, but I slightly disagree. Also, this fight may happen. It's looking like it may happen. Like I say, I want to try to whisk through these a little bit quicker. I don't want to take up all of your time this evening. Um, Liam Smith against Saddam Ali. Great fight. If Liam Smith can get the right game plan together, then he could beat Saddam Ali. I've known Saddam Ali for about, I don't know, 10 years now, from when we was out in the New York gyms together. He was still an amateur then. Uh, I, brought a couple, I brought Andy Smalls out to spar, and, and Andy Smalls was sparring with Danny Jacobs and... Uh, who else was fight? Peter Quillen, uh, quite a few other guys down in the in the gym um, when we was out at the Trinity Boxing Gym in New York. So, yeah, Saddam Ali's a good fighter, man. He's risen through the weights, but he's beatable, and Smith could beat that guy. But Saddam Ali had a fantastic amateur career, and those things you got to take that into into consideration when you're saying, well, okay, then you're gonna be up and not. Yeah, I don't think Saddam Ali would be in awe or be fearful of Liam Smith like he was. He was, he was a little bit in awe of Cotter because you still in with a legend, regardless if it's an old legend, you're still in with a legend. And they know stuff. You know what I mean? But he stuck to a game plan, and we got to give him all the credit in the world for how he boxed in that fight. But I would like to see Liam Smith in there with that. That'd be a great fight. Yeah, I think I probably just possibly favour Ali in that one just on the basis of that Cotter win he looked really good even though he was yeah, a big he underdog obviously he um, did, did look good another fight that's been that's been made now actually one that some people ain't happy with but for me I quite like it Ted Cheeseman against Carson Jones that's a great fight you mean and Ted Cheeseman Ted Cheeseman's my guy I've known Ted for a long time I know all of his family right Ted Cheeseman is very overlooked. Do you understand? Because he's saying, well, sometimes the performance in the gym ain't coming out in the ring and he can box a lot smoother and everything else. And I think it's a good thing that all these other fighters are getting hyper about him. I mean, he's in the same gym as Conor Ben. Um, he's in the same gym as Joe Cordina. The same, he's in the same gym as O'Hara Davis. So he, the spotlight's not really been on him. But there is no better guy for him to go into as a gatekeeper and a guy where he's going to learn the game as well than Carson Jones. It's a great fight. Ted Giedman, but I've got Ted Giedman winning that fight. It's not going to be easy, but I've got him winning that fight. I've got him scraping through on a really, really tough points win. 
Yeah, we certainly hope so. Obviously, you know, he's he's been a bit of a danger man, Carson Jones, especially last time with uh, with Ben Hall. That was hard to watch that, but credit to Ben Hall. And he um, got bumped against Margarito as well, so you may don't forget yeah, that one as well. Yeah, we should mention. Yeah, we should mention that yeah. also. Yeah. Um, a great matchup that could potentially happen at 147. Errol Spence against Terence Crawford. Oh, love it. Yeah, wicked fight. <laughs> Terence Crawford wins that fight, though. Okay. Seriously. Any, any particular reason? Because you can, because he can do more things than what Errol Spence can do. Errol Spence can box southpaw, can weigh you down. He's very calculating and a sharpshooter. But we have a guy who can box orthodox and southpaw, who sharpshoots. But not only sharpshoots, he sharpshoots and he's the faster of the two. So I would favor him to win that fight. Errol Spence could try and walk him down, and because Errol Spence can cut corners, he cuts down the ring really well, and he walks you down. And he's and he's persistent, but. I think that the guy with the, the greater repertoire is actually Terence Crawford. And Terence Crawford was my pound-for-pound pound number one fighter in the world as well. So I would I would slightly favor him to win that fight. And But if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You know what I mean? Because both are great guys and both are, doing, they're both are doing great things for boxing as well. But I slightly favor Terence Crawford. I think he's got that little bit more special on him. Furman versus Jeff Horn. Well, we're meant to talk about that fight. You for real? Two right, more champions. Next question, man. Two undefeated. Come on, come on, man. <laughs> the, the talk, the talk, the, the talk is that Terence Crawford. I'm, I'm seriously. Let me tell you this. Um, Jeff Jeff Horn is a Commonwealth champion of the world. That's who he is. He's a Commonwealth champion. Back in the day, I mean, he would have been brought over in a Commonwealth title defense. Um, in a, in a Commonwealth in a Commonwealth title defense against um, Lloyd Hannigan back in the day. And Lloyd Hunnigan would have smashed into this. He, mm-hmm. you know I mean, you got Manny Pacquiao. You, you a very dubious points win over Manny Pacquiao as well. You know I mean, Gary Kukwana, no disrespect to Gary. Gary's a very, very good domestic fighter. He ain't world class. That doesn't give you a chance to say you're fighting. He was chosen for that fight as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, let Jeff Horn go and fight guys like Terence Crawford and he'll get scored. And that's the talk that they're meant to be fighting. He, he's meant to be fighting for his WBO title. So we'll see. Yeah, I think that's a one-sided victory for for Crawford, of course. Um, here's one for you, and this one I really like, which probably won't happen, but it's, it's one of my fantasy fights. You were very honest when you were talking about uh, Josh Taylor and O'Hara Davies. How about this? O'Hara Davies versus Jack Catterall. Oh, good fight. Really good fight. I'll make you think for a couple of seconds. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I, I, was, I was, you know what? I haven't seen a lot of Catterall, but he's good. I've seen a couple of his fights. I haven't seen that much of him. But I would rather. I would, he just beat I would Tyrone say, Nurse, didn't he? Recently. Yeah, I know he just beat Tyrone Nurse. And that's a very good win. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Yeah, well, you know what? I would, I would go with Hara Davis because I think they're trying to make that fight anyway, and it hasn't happened. And I was like, yeah. I would slightly favour O'Hara Davis. Okay. Um, Anthony Crawler versus Luke Campbell. Wicked fight. You know what I mean? And I would have to favour a younger fisherman in that fight. So that means I would have to favour Luke Campbell. And Luke Campbell Luke Campbell fought really, really well against Jorge Linares. Um, he did, yeah. He did. And coupled with what he was coming through because his dad just passed away, while he was in camp, you know what I mean? The week of the fight, and he went and performed the way that he did, not perform gallantly, I would slightly favor him. I think the wear and tear is getting a better of Crawler. I did commentary recently. Last month, I did commentary with, with Crawler um, 
for Alciesta Boxing for Colin Lyons' last professional fight. And um, it was for a WBC championship, or WBC silver belt or something. And it was, it, it, it was sad to see. But I think he's at the tail end of his career now in, in Crawler. He's been a fantastic ambassador for the sport. I mean, he's been a world champion. He's made decent money. Um, I would slightly favor the younger, the younger, fresher man. And the fresher man is actually Luke Campbell. Yeah, yeah, lovely guy, Crawler. And obviously, like I say, Campbell there, like you mentioned, with his issues outside the ring and more importantly, to keep it quiet until after the fight. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Martin J. Ward coming off a brilliant win. What happens if well, it's we Stephen Smith coming off a bad loss? Oh, man. That's you know what? Fight. It's a wicked fight. I don't know both of the guys really well. Um, but same same kind of scenario. Steven Smith's been in the game a very long time now. And Martin J. Ward's the kid that's on the up. So you would slightly favor Martin J. Ward, but don't be surprised if Steven couldn't clap him and stop him. You know? But I would favor Martin J. Ward. Selby Warrington. Selby all day long. Warren doesn't crack hard enough. Warren doesn't crack hard enough and he hasn't got the skill set to deal with Ali Selby. And that's the truth. And not only that, but Lee Selby needs a big fight to perform. Because if Lee Selby goes in lackluster, the work rate of Warren will, will outpunch him and beat him. But I would have to go with Lee Selby because he's proven, especially when he won the world title, right? Where he, he just he showed me like it, he can go up gears and change up levels. So if you can if you can do that, then I believe that somebody like a Josh Warren in that fight they will bring the best out of a Lee Selby. I think Lee Selby would win that fight on points. Yeah, that's the thing about Selby. You know, like he obviously isn't as big of a name as he probably could have been if he stayed in the UK. But when you look at his victories, even because they ran for the guys, money, these guys all yeah, ran out to America for the money. He did, right? He and did, it didn't work though, for him. If you if you look at his, you know, he's not really knocking many people out, but he's beating them widely on points. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, no. it's a shame with him. But yeah, I think that'd be a great fight. One that's been made, as far as I know, today. Um, Carl Frampton, Nanito Donaire. Uh, why? No, no, he didn't finish, man. You're talking about Carl Frampton, no, you're there. Yeah, no, no, went. What are we talking about? Are we talking about the guy that got schooled by Rigondo? Are we talking about the guy that got badly knocked out um, by Nicholas Walkers? Did a good fight for a hot minute, but you know, he's done. Trust me. I don't want to fight as done. He's done. Coming down to the last couple now, Kid Galahad, Scott Quigg. Galahad. Galahad. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, trust me. How come? Galahad is a lot better than what you think. Trust no, me. I know how good he is, but the general public, yeah, they he's they don't know. The, uh, Galahad, Galahad rumbles inspiring with Kelbrook. Kelbrook is a very big world away, and he's now now a now a super super world away. So, oh, yeah, I've got Galahad winning that fight, and not only that, but. What has he done? What has he done to change gears or up things in the fights? He hasn't done anything. He hasn't done anything. Um, Scott Quigg. Scott Quigg got out to America and he, he's looks like he's gone backwards. He hasn't gone forwards. Hmm. Yeah, fair point. I I'm being real. I'm being real. Fair point. Fair point. Um, one that one that got tweeted yesterday. Gavin McDonald tweeted Gamal Yafai for a fight. 
What's your thoughts on that? Boy, the way I Gavin box so gallantly, uh, boy. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one, though. Um, maybe McDonald in that fight, you know? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. 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 But nah, nah, nah. Yeah, yeah, maybe McDonald in that fight. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, in, in on these questions here, um, you, I think you said it yesterday, actually, on the podcast. Deontay Wilder's the biggest threat to Joshua. I think we all know that until, you know, Fury, if if he can recapture what he was. Um, yeah, how do you see that one going down, Wilder, Joshua, Spence? The biggest threat to, to Andy Joshua is actually Tyson Fury. But I would if he Wilder, can Joshua, what he was, though. I reckon he will. I mean, um, Wilder, Joshua, oh, man. I will, I will slightly favor Andy Joshua because of better rounded boxing ability. But okay. both guys be swinging. Yeah, and if that does yeah, happen, then... Uh, yeah, both guys, be, both guys be swinging. Yeah, both guys will be swinging. But I think I will slightly favor Andy Joshua, but it wouldn't surprise me if Andy Joshua was to get knocked out by one of them wild right-hand swings. Yeah, could could happen to anyone. Like I say, probably the hardest puncher in in the heavyweight division in terms of one. Punch I would say out. single shot. Yeah, single shot. One bit most definitely, he's the hardest single shot puncher in the heavyweight division. Yeah, without a doubt, he's a monster. Without a doubt, but I'm just looking at pedigree, and pedigree to be an ABA champion, to be a world game silver medalist, to to um, to to be an Olympic champion. To be in a British and Commonwealth champ as a professional and then a world champion and then beat Klitschko in the way that he did, then I would slightly favour, not slightly, I would greatly favour Anthony Joshua. And it's not a pick because it's like who lands first, but now I'm saying who lands first with a better technical prowess and that would be Anthony Joshua. But Anthony Joshua don't punch like how Deontay Wilder punches. Deontay Wilder has that concussive punching power. Yeah. And it is concussive. But I'll still pick Anthony Joshua to win that fight because I've seen you against Gerald Washington, the American football player, and that you reminiscent to me of Primo Carnero. So that's not going to stand you in good stead to say you're going in against Anthony Joshua. But you did impress me against Jermaine Stavern, regardless that Jermaine Stavern came in fat and ill-shaped and out of shape. But regardless of that, it was a number that you did, and it made me say, wow, that was impressive. And a lot of people kind of dissing um verb because of that but I'm saying listen what you can do is beat what's in front of you and he beat him impressively yeah but I still got Andy Joshua winning that fight yeah yeah I think I think me too and um finally now um I've I've put together like a little short list of of prospects that I've kind of got on a on a list that I call one to watch for next year I think top okay. of the list has to be Josh Taylor. I've got Dubois on there. I've got Yard on there. I've got Josh Kelly on there. I've got Joe Caldina. Any other names that you want to add or names that you think I should take off or agree with? Joshua Boatsy. Oh, yeah, of course, of course, of course. From well, my Joshua, estate, actually. Josh, okay, is that... Where are you from? You're South London, yeah? Croydon. You're Croydon, for real? You're down the road yeah. from me. Wicked. All right. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I, that's what I, I yeah he he's got to be on there as well. Josh Watts has got to be on there as well. Um, I think he's the reincarnation of Evander Holyfield. There's so many similarities between him and Evander. 
just fighting-wise, the way that they're both devout Christians, all those kind of things. I think that's the guy he's one to watch. He really is one to watch. But but the was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll tell you, um, the the winner of Coley versus um, Chamberlain is going to be... He's going to be the one to watch, but, but both of them should be on there in it because both of them are very, very good prospects. Um, we've already covered Ted Cheeseman, who I think he definitely won to watch, right? And he ain't going to be the full article for now, but trust me, he's one to watch. There is a relentlessness and a toughness about this guy that is throwback to the 50s, kind of, kind of, swear down. Okay, well, if you say it, then uh, if the historian says it, then. I can't disagree. No, Ted Cheese was right. good. That's a good yeah, good fire, man. Good fire. And just before I let you go, Spence, anything that you want to tell our listeners at all before before I let you go? Yeah. Um, was it? Uh, in Westminster on the 20th of January, the world-famous and renowned motivational speaker, Les Brown, is coming to town. I'm actually hosting Les Brown, which is incredible because he's just a fantastic orator. And um, and and one of the greatest motivational speakers of all time, he's been ranked top five. Uh, that's ridiculous. He's a and he's coming to town, so I'm, I've been very fortunate to host him. So get your tickets for that event. Um, it's a lady called Miss Alfia Grant, who's the daughter of Bunny Grant. This is way before your time. Bunny Grant was a former Commonwealth um, welterweight and lightweight champion uh, from Jamaica. He was a fantastic fighter in the 50s and 60s and was the first Jamaican to ever challenge for a world title. He was something else. And so it's his daughter that's actually putting on the event. I'm just very, very grateful to say that I'm going to be on the same stage as one of the greatest motivational speakers of all time. And he's been a massive influence to me as well, Les Brown. So go check that one out. You know what I mean? If you guys want to go get motivated, go check that one out. Also keep it hashtag told to tour, ringside told to tour, Sky Sports, the world's largest listen to boxing podcast. This is not my words. This is facts. I'm very, very grateful for doing what I'm doing. A big up every single person that listens, every person that comments, comment on my show, comment on Joey's show, comment all around the whole board on boxing. Whether you like me or love me, I mean, hate me or despise me, I don't care. Just keep on talking because your love and your hate adds as helium to me and it rises me higher. And trust me, everyone knows I'm flying. So I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. All right? (laughs) Well said. Okay, listen, Spencer, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Thank you for your time. Enjoy your Christmas and New Year and we'll speak again sometime soon. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking out to listen to Kelly Pavlik because I really did rate him as a fantastic fighter. I think that was great that you got him on your show. All right, brother. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. Usually it's the preview part, but of course there's nothing to preview at all apart from a Christmas dinner, which we're not going to do. So, yeah, there's no previewing, so we're going to really discuss quite a few things here. It's going to be quite fun, hopefully. But firstly, we're going to bring in Ayaz with the latest news. We couldn't forget that segment. Ayaz is the best at it. Ayaz, what have you got for us this week? A big British uh, beef uh, boxing got and fight going out just today. On February the 3rd, We'll see Lawrence Sokoli versus Isaac Chamberlain at the O2 Arena. Yes, a real grudge match. One that I've got to give both men credit for, for taking it. Because, um, you know, both men obviously undefeated very, very early on in their careers. And 
I know that they say, well, it's really early and a loss at this stage won't really matter. It's best to come at this stage than at world level. And in some ways that can be true. But I think that, you know, whoever wins the fight will really push on to big things pretty soon. And I think whoever loses, especially if it's Isaac Chamberlain, I think he can get thrown to a pack of wolves, really. So, um... It'll be interesting, it really will, but I, I think the loser in this, like I say, especially if it's Chamberlain, I don't think he will come off too well if he does lose, but um, yeah, credit, like I say, to both men for taking it, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant fight, it's funny because they're talking about it possibly headlining, I think, because there's been nothing on Dillian White, and it's, you know, it's a bit weird, he, he, uh, from, from originally it was supposed to be an 0-2 fight, obviously, 3rd of February, it was supposed to be on the undercard of Dillian White, but that's kind of gone a little bit quiet now, and now I'm seeing fight posters with Lawrence Ocoli and Isaac Chamberlain in the middle of it, so I don't quite know what's going on there, but yeah, either way, it's a great fight, and if I'm not there in attendance, I'll certainly be watching it. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Seriously, am. Reese Bellotti will face Ben Jones for Commonwealth featherweight title. Yes, um, Reese Bellotti, obviously, you know, a guy that's undefeated on the up. He's had quite a decent year. He's um, he's really kind of, you know, growing into the into the sport now. I think. I think at first he was looking quite good. Then when they stepped up his his level in opposition, he kind of. It took a little while to get used to it, I feel, even though he was winning. You know, don't don't take that the wrong way, but I think he's warmed into it now and he's really getting to that level where, you know, he's going to be fighting these, these, these opponents that we've heard of. He's going to be fighting these opponents that are definitely bringing something there, not just to lay down, but bringing a winning mentality and also, you know, bringing a challenge first and foremost. So, yeah, this is a brilliant step up for him. I think it's the right time. I think Ben Jones... Obviously, you know, Ben Jones has got a couple of losses. When you actually analyse them deeply, one of them was to Lee Selby. Um, you know, he's he's fought good fighters, Ben Jones. He's, he's no walkover. But I think he, I don't know, I think he may have kind of maybe... I don't want to, I don't want to be too harsh, but I think he's may, maybe passed his sell-by date a little bit, so it could be the right time to take him. But we'll have to wait and see. But all the very best to both men, and um, you know, simply may the best man win. But it's another, it's another cracking fight, really, another great domestic fight for next year that I'm looking forward to. And finally, Ted Cheeseman will face Carson Jones. Yeah, that's another great fight. I mean, they were talking about originally for. Uh, for Ted Cheeseman to take on James Metcalf, I think, and he's 17 and 0, uh, you know, a decent fighter, if I'm not mistaken, under the MTK umbrella. Um, I mean, that would have been decent, I suppose. You know, he's he's obviously doing all the right things in his career, but I really like this fight. I think Carson Jones, I think it's a brilliant fight, to be honest. I mean, only if he wins, by the way, because the British fans obviously know Carson Jones very well. Last time he was over here, he beat Ben Hall. I remember being there for that one. That was that was a big step up in class, and this is a big step up in class. So could Eddie Hearn have overlooked and underestimated Carson Jones once again? We'll have to wait and see, but one thing is for sure, if Ted Cheeseman is the real deal like a lot of people in the trade say he is then he will prevail and it will be a brilliant name for his resume that's what I will say so I'm really looking forward to that also um I myself I think I've maybe criticized Ted Cheeseman once or twice before I think you know he's technically very good but sometimes I kind of switch off when he's fighting a little bit like attention wise it's just I don't know he doesn't I don't know I don't know he just doesn't really do it for me I can't really put my finger on why but this fight will be one I'll certainly be watching. Maybe it's because I haven't really heard of any of his opponents 
thus far. But yeah, I'll be definitely watching this one with a keen eye. And is that it for the news, Ayaz, yeah? Yes, that's it for the news. Okay, also we should mention um, another fight that I forgot in the reviewing. Just I thought I'd quickly go over this. There's a guy in China, a Chinese fighter called Junlong Zhang, who is now 19-0. and 0. Uh, He just got a win in China. It was for the WBA Oceana heavyweight title. He got a win against Victor Emilio Ramirez, who's 22-4 and 4 now with one draw. That was a 12-rounder. And the reason why I bring that up is because Ramirez is the guy that used to... Um, used to hold the IBF, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the IBF Cruiserweight World title. He's the guy who fought Oval McKenzie to a draw, and he's now moved up to heavyweight, and he's took on Zhang here, and he gets knocked out in the very first round. So Zhang, who, by the way, is 19-0 with 19 knockouts. He's 36 years old. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with him. He's fought quite a few decent guys. Not really many losing records. I'm just looking at his record now. Um, he's got one losing record. He's got a few debutants on there as well. But, you know, 19-0 and with 19 knockouts. Let's not overlook that too much. I think he had a decent amateur career as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. But yeah, that's definitely a name to listen out for. Junlong Zhang is the name. Um, I've got to talk about one funny name fighter that I've seen. And I swear to God, I think someone's having a wind-up. It's actually a guy that's fighting in Roma in Lazio in Italy. I think it's this week. It's a six-rounder. And this guy's name, and I'm not even kidding, it just it just kind of fits in. It's the Christmas special show. We're trying to do something a little bit exciting here. And there's a guy with a name like this at the perfect week. This guy's name, by the way, I'm going to read his record first. His record is three and two. This guy's name is Seaman. Yeah, the proper spelling. Seaman. And his last name, I'm not even joking, is Leave In. That's his name, Seaman Leave In. I swear to God, this guy, if there was any other funny name fighters this week, he'd win it. So we're just going to give the, uh, the, the, the points there to Seaman Leave In. So I ask, round of applause for Seaman Leave In. Very well done, Mr. Seaman. Um... <laughs> That's another one in itself. Right, let's talk about now as the top 10 pound for pound list. We've asked our listeners to send in theirs as well. I'm just going to really, um, you know, mention a few of theirs first and we can discuss what we think of their list. Um, we're going to start with a guy that sent in a list on Twitter. This is from at Jamie underscore Ingleby 79. Now he sent a very interesting list in here. Um, Number one, he's gone with Terence Crawford. I think that not many can argue with that. I think that's you know that's that's fair enough. I think there's one, two, or three guys that could be at the very top, but Crawford, you know, he's um, he's he's definitely up there. Triple G number two. I think that that's that's fine. Uh, Canelo number three. Also, Ayers, remember to uh, jump in if you've got anything to say here. Mikey Garcia number four. Do you think that could be a tad high for Mikey, or maybe not? What's your thoughts on that? Um. I would have put Lomachenko, but when when I do mines, I can tell you mines and I'll compare it to others. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, He's got Lomachenko at number six, but yeah, Mikey Garcia number four, Leo Santa Cruz number five. I'm not sure I'd put him above Lomachenko. Number seven, he's got Usyk. 
Um, number eight, he's got Inoue, which I think you know that's that's definitely someone who who um, arguably could be up there for sure. Definitely, it definitely goes to show that this guy watches those lower weights. Number nine, he's put Billy Joe Saunders in the top ten, um, maybe a tad hastily, um, but no, Billy Joe, the the performance that that we spoke about earlier on in the show, he he, he certainly. Fought like a guy who is in the top in the top ten or so, but I'm not quite sure that I'd stick him in there. And number ten, this one could be quite controversial. Um, Jamie Ingleby's gone with Katie Taylor, number ten. I mean, obviously we we were talking about you know top ten pound for pound being uh, a, you know a men's thing. I'm not quite sure that he meant to slot her in number ten because he's gone with um, Katie Taylor for knockout of the year with a body shot. I can't remember what fight that was in, I asked. Do you remember Katie Taylor stopping a lady with a body shot? It may be her second fight. I'm not. No, it would have been this year. It was this year. I'm very sorry to Jamie Ingleby. We should know this. Um, Let me quickly have a look at that. See if it. If I look at the date, see if it brings back any any memory, any recollection. Um, She stopped. It obviously wasn't the other day. Uh, she's had a couple fights this year, to be honest. It's hard to. I think she's had five or six fights this year. Um, ooh, I can't find it to be completely honest. So I'm very sorry about that. But um, looking at the the fighter of the year, Jamie Ingleby's gone with Mikey Garcia. I think that's a fair shout, to be completely honest. Um, as we mentioned, Mikey Garcia definitely a contender of knockout of the year. You know, this year he's had um, two fights in total. One against Dijon Zlatikanin, Cannon, in which he captured the, the WBC lightweight title, a knockout in round three there of a contest he dominated from the start. He also took Zlatikanin's Cannon's unbeaten record, and then he went on to dominate Adrian Broner pretty much eight rounds to four. That was in July, and now he's signed to, of course, fight. Um, you know, for his fourth. Um, his fourth world title in in four different weight classes up at 140 now against Sergei Lipinets. Um Yeah, I think Mikey Garcia is in with a shout eyes. He's had a good year, hasn't he? Oh, he's had a brilliant year so far. I reckon he's a very good fighter as well. Yeah, top class. Um, right now we're gonna we're gonna mention somebody else's list here. Um, this is uh, a very loyal listener here, Ricey underscore SUFC. I think he's um, he won the Anthony Yard signed glove um, when we when we gave that away a few months ago now, and he sends in his top ten list here. At first, he's got Lomachenko, and second, he's gone with Triple G. Third, Canelo. Fourth, Crawford. Fifth, Furman. Sixth, Usyk. Seventh, Mikey Garcia. Eighth, Linares. Ninth, Leo Santa Cruz. Tenth, Anthony Joshua. No mention of Lomachenko in his top. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's he's first. What am I talking about? Um, who's he missing out there? He, I, I can see that there's someone missing from there. He's got Loma, Triple G, Canelo, Crawford, Furman. No, I, I quite like that list. That's quite a strong list. And putting Joshua at ten, I think now when you actually look at it, I think I think Joshua maybe does deserve a top ten slot. To be honest, Ooh, I don't. I I got someone else if I had to choose. Who? Errol Spence Jr.? No, no. Eyes, because, I mean, I don't know. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, who's on his resume? He's got Bundu on there, which I'm not going to put him up for that. He's got Kell Brook. We know, I don't want to make too many excuses for Kell Brook, but obviously he come and crashed the weight a little bit. Yeah, he's got, Chris, he's got Chris Algieri, but I don't know. How good was he? I mean, didn't he retire after that fight? Um, who else has he got on there? He's got, I think he's got Chris Van Heerden, but... How good's he? I'm not sure I'd stick him up there, to be honest. I think I'd probably put 
I don't know. I probably have. I probably have somebody. To be honest, I probably have somebody else right up there instead of him. I don't think I'd stick him in. I mean, it's up to you. You got your list, of course. We'll get to that momentarily. Um, who else have we got there? He's gone with his fighter of the year, Lomachenko. I think that's a very, very popular answer. And yep. knockout of the year, he's gone with David Lemieux against Curtis Stevens. That was a proper knockout, wasn't it? Well, Do you remember that? Was that? that was oh, brutal. Oh. And based on that, that's why a lot of people pick Lemieux to beat Saunders. Um, also, we've had one sent in from this is this is on Twitter at Ed Messenger twenty eight. Um, he's gone with number one Lomachenko, number two Crawford, number three Triple G, number four Inoue, number five Canelo, number six Sorungvisai, number seven Mikey Garcia, number eight Errol Spence. I think that's a little bit high in my opinion. Number nine Keith Furman. Ah, oh, Ed. You cannot put Spence over Furman, man. You can't do that. Not yet. And number 10, Rigondo. He's still in his top 10 despite the quit job. Um, I think that's a strong top 10, though. I'd probably shift a few of them around, but I think that's quite a good top 10. The knockout of the year, he's also gone with Lemieux versus Stevens. I think that's definitely a contender. It was really brutal. Um, And fighter of the year, he's gone with Crawford, simply for unifying the 140 division. And I think that... You know, you can't overlook that. That's a stone-cold fact. And the way he did it, Terence Crawford, has really... I mean, last year, I think I, I think when we did this last year, I'm sure I gave Crawford Fighter of the Year last year. And there definitely is an argument that he could be Fighter of the Year once again. I mean, he had two fights. You know, he, he made Felix Diaz quit after 10 rounds, defended his title, and... Um, and then, obviously, unifying them with, with Julius Indongo knocked him out in the third round back in August. And that was a demolition job. So, definitely, definitely a contender for sure. Um, but I'm going with somebody different. But, yeah, moving over now, we've got another one that was sent in. This one was actually by Diego, who's done the show with me quite a few times when you've been absent eyes. Obviously, a former employee of the Boxing Voice. Um, he's gone with... Number one, Golovkin. I'm not sure if he's done this in order. I think he has. I think he has. Number one, Golovkin. Number two, Canelo. Number three, Keith Furman. Number four, Crawford. Number five, Mikey Garcia. In sixth, Lomachenko. Seventh, Kovalev. Eighth, Errol Spence Jr. And it seems like he's only sent in nine names because um, he's put Inoue in number nine. I think that's one, two, three... Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, he sent nine in. So that's a top nine from Diego there. Knockout of the year. He's gone for a bit of a wild card. He's going with the uh, the Jamel Charlo knockout against Ericsson Lubin a few months back. That was definitely a shout as well. That was a oh, brilliant wow. knockout. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah, brilliant knockout. Um, and he's gone with fire of the year. He's actually gone with Jamel Charlo. So he's obviously a big fan of Jamel Charlo. I mean, Jamel Charlo... It's hard, like, we've always said for quite a while that Jamal Charlo's the better of the brothers, but when you actually look at his resume and compare it to Jamal, Jamal's really looking good. I mean, he's 30-0 and now. This year he had two fights. He knocked both his opponents out. Charles Hatley, which I think was a mandatory, knocked him out in six rounds, and he was also down in the third round. And then the way he dispatched of Lubin, who at the time I actually picked Lubin to win, which was one of my worst picks ever, he got knocked out in the first round. Um... You know, he's he's coming off of quite a few knockouts now in a row. I think he's really becoming a bit of a superstar, Jamel Charlo. So, yeah, I quite like that one as well. 
also another guy that's that's been tuning into the pod for quite a few weeks now another guy that i think won a prize at one stage at valley legend on twitter this is from danny he sent in a list here lomachenko number one golovkin number two number three Terence Crawford, number four, Canelo, number five, Santa Cruz, number six, Tyson Fury. I mean, a little bit of an asterisk attached to that because obviously Tyson Fury hasn't yet returned. We don't really know how good he is. So I've kind of just, I meant like active fighters. So taking him out, um, you've got Usyk, which I think that's one, two, three, four, five, six. He's got Usyk in seventh, and he's got Errol Spence in eighth. So a lot of people agreeing with you, I sticking sticking Errol Spence in. He's got AJ in ninth, and he's gone with Furman tenth. But I just can't understand people that are putting Errol Spence above Keith Furman after Keith Furman's, you know, beaten, uh, you know, the likes of Sean Porter and Danny Garcia, arguably the other two top guys at one four seven. I know that. Errol Spence has only just kind of burst on the scene, just picked up a title, hasn't even defended it yet. I just can't, I can't see why he'd be ranked above, above Furman. Um, and he's also gone with a wild card in terms of his favourite knockout of the year. He's gone with John Ryder knocking out Patrick Nielsen on the Groves and Cox undercard, a fight that was there for ringside. Patrick Nielsen was ranked number one by the WBA. But anyway, had him down in the second round and also again in the fifth round, but he was brutal. And I actually didn't think John was going to be able to do that, and he really showed up. That was that was unbelievable. I'm so pleased for him. Um, so yeah, I really like that, and it was... He's, he's just added it was brutal and it was a massive surprise, which it really was. Um, he's also gone with fighter of the year, Lomachenko. He's put, he doesn't just win, he takes the will and life out of his opponents. What a boxer. Can't disagree with that. Also, we've got a list sent in from at... This is on Instagram, actually, at Robbie underscore FFM. This is a regular listener. Shout out to Robbie. He's gone with... Pound for pound, number one, Crawford. Number two, Lomachenko. Number three, Furman. Number four, Spence. Number five, Inoue. Number six, Saw Rungvisai. Number seven, Joshua. That's quite high. Um, number eight, Mikey Garcia. Number nine, Jorge Linares. And number ten, um, Gallo Estrada. Um, that's a questionable one as well there. Um, who's missing? He's, he hasn't got Triple G or Canelo in his top ten. Robbie, what's going on, my friend? No Canelo, no Triple G. I'm expecting answers on that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some questionable ones in there. Joshua as far as seven. Inoue, fifth, okay. Sorung Versailles, right up there in sixth. Lomachenko and Crawford, number one and two. No argument with that. Number three, Furman. Could be a tiny bit high. Um, he's also gone with... I've asked him for fighter of the year. He sent me three. He sent me, oh, he sent me four. He sent me Errol Spence. I mean, Errol Spence, if I'm not mistaken, hasn't he just had the one the one fight of no anyway this year? Errol Spence, just want to quickly check that. Obviously beating Kell Brook the way he did. Um, yeah, he's only had one fight this year. So I don't think we can say he was active enough to capture that that one there. He's also gone with Charlo Bros. He hasn't specified which one. I'm th- I think he may be saying both of them. Uh, they've both been good fighters, but I'm not sure I'd put them at the very top, especially Jamal Charlo. He moved up and fought a guy who was injured. Um, Mikey Garcia, he's also nominated as well for Fighter of the Year. That's definitely um, definitely a good shout, as we mentioned earlier. And he's also gone with Charlo's knockout of Lubin as well in the first round there, knockout of the year. Again, one that I can't argue with. Really good choices from our listeners' eyes. They obviously know what they're talking about. As I say, they're winning in the prediction league. But my list and your list now, Ayers, um, 
Go on, you go first. I go. I, I, I listen to yours first. Who's your top ten pound for pound? One through to ten. Okay, first one I'm going to go for Vasil Lomachenko. Yep. Had to be him. Number two, Triple G. Okay. Number three, Crawford. Yep, I've got the same one, two, and three, but in a bit of a different order. Yep. Number four, Canelo. I've got, he's my number four as well. Yep. Number five, my Mikey Garcia. Okay. Number six, Jorge Linares. Okay. Number seven, it has to be uh, Rungvasai. Okay. Number eight, Usyk. Yep. Number nine, Spence. Ooh, yep. And number ten, I'm probably going to go for Inouye. Inouye. All right. Um, right, well, I've gone with I've gone with Lomachenko number one. You can tell me what you think of this, guys, if you want to criticize any part of it. I've gone with Lomachenko number one. I've gone with Crawford two. And the reason why I haven't put Golovkin is because, obviously, on paper, Golovkin drew with Canelo, even though I don't think that was the right result. I think I've probably shaded it to Crawford for that fact. Number three, I've gone with Golovkin. Number four, I've gone with Canelo. Number five, I still got to put him in there, Rigondo. I still think he's one of the best in the world. Um even though he didn't look it against Lomachenko. You know, you've got to cut him a bit of slack. He moved up two weight divisions. Uh, Number six, I've gone with Furman. Number seven, I've gone with Kovalev. I still think that with Andre Ward out of the picture, he certainly is the best at light heavyweight until proven, you know, until he gets beaten, really, even though there's some killers coming through. Um, I've gone with Usyk in number eight. Even though he he probably hasn't got the you know the most biggest names on his record, he's only like thirteen and oh, but I think he's uh, you know a brilliant fighter. I've gone with Mikey Garcia number nine. I know that's a little bit high in the in the in the top ten. Uh, when I say that, I mean a little bit high in terms of the numbers. He really could be pushed up a few numbers. Number nine, Mikey Garcia, and number ten, I've put Joshua in there. And the reason why, and like I say, Joshua being in the top ten is debatable. A lot of people don't want to do it because, you know, it's casual, it's casual. Well, the reason why is because I think that since Joshua beat Dominic Brazil, he's really proved that he's actually a very, very solid fighter and definitely no walkover. So, you know, Obviously, the win over Klitschko, it was what it was. I've criticised that enough. Dominic Brazil, he did take Charles Martin's O. He took Dillian White's O. He took Gary Cornish's O, even though Gary Cornish obviously isn't a fantastic fighter. But those wins there probably stick him at number 10 for me. Um, yeah, do you want to say anything about any of that? No, I can agree with you on that. But I reckon you've got a very, uh, top, you've got a very good top 10 pound for pound. Yeah, thanks, man. And now let's talk about the knockout of the year. I'm going to go with one that nobody has actually mentioned. I'm guaranteeing it. Nobody's mentioned it. But anyways, I'm going to throw it to you guys first. Who are you giving it to? See, I've got two in the mind. I've got one where Rungvasai beat Gonzalez in the sec- uh, in his second fight. Yeah. And the other one was in Deontay Wilder versus Bermain Stavon. Yeah, I mean, it was a good knockout, obviously, the Bermain Stavern one, but the only thing I criticised was the fight itself. I think it was expected to happen. I think that um, 
you know, the, the the first one you mentioned there, obviously, Rung Versailles knocking out, really, you know, closing the book on any kind of controversy in the first fight where he got the decision, and it was very close. He really closed the book on that with the knockout, and as early and as dominant as what it was. So I think that's, a for me, that's probably the better of the two. Now, I've gone with one that's a bit of a wild card. It wasn't for a world title. It was back in May this year, probably one that's been forgotten. Um, it's actually... David Benavidez's knockout against Porky Medina. Did you happen to see that, Ayers? I haven't, unfortunately. Oh, mate, check that out. I swear to God, he must have thrown about 15 punches in about two seconds and every single one landed. Unbelievable. One of the most, you know, the most exciting-looking knockouts I've ever seen. And I don't mean like... You know, an unconscious, absolutely, you know, need the oxygen and need the stretcher brought in kind of concussive knockout. I'm just talking about that was my favorite knockout. Not that it, it probably wasn't the most damaging knockout. It just was my favorite one. It looked the best. And it was such a rare thing. I've never seen anybody, you know, get knocked out like that before. So for me, that was really special. Um, also, we had him on the show after that win as well. So that kind of put the icing on the cake a little bit. And my fighter of the year, Ayaz... I think you're going to agree with me here. It has to be Vasyl Lomachenko. Yep, no doubt about it. This guy just keeps on improving, improving. He makes people quit on stools. That's how good he That's how, That's why he's so good. Yeah, I mean, this year he's had three fights, obviously. Um, Jason Sosa took him on. Jason Sosa, you know, he spoke about that fight on our show also. But Jason Sosa, I think they pulled him out. His corner pulled him out in like round 10 or something like that. He also had Mariaga quit on his stall. And most recently, Rogondo quit on his stall. All three guys there, former world champions, former you know, brilliant fighters. They're no mugs, and he's made all three of them quit, and even more, but that's just this year. He's he's on like a six-quit streak or something, isn't he? Or is it four-quit streak? I think something like that. But yeah, three this year, absolutely unbelievable. You just, you know, even though he's my pound-for-pound number one, this year really definitely elevated him to that status. I mean, he's had a brilliant year. And if I had to give a runner-up to the best year, I'd have to give it to Rungvisai. He didn't make my top ten, because I think his run of opponents before the uh, the, you know, the, the Chocolatito victories wasn't really impressive. So that's why he's not in my top ten. But those two wins there, I mean, Chocolatito definitely was in my top ten. But on the two performances that he's had against Rung Versailles, it's kind of took him out, but not enough to put Rung Versailles in his place, I don't think. I think Rung Versailles has got a great fight coming up. If he wins that, then he definitely does get in my top 10, and I'd probably have to push Joshua out of the 10th place. Also, another fighter, if he was more active, I'd definitely have him in the top 10, Gary Russell Jr. His only loss was to Lomachenko. He didn't get stopped. And he's a brilliant fighter as well. I think he's very underrated simply because he's not fighting enough. Um, yeah, I mean, Charlos, they're doing well. They, If I had like a top 15, I think maybe the Charlos would be in it. Maybe Eris Landy Lara. But yeah, it was just a top 10 and that's what we've got. So Lomachenko, our fighter of the year. That's unanimous all round pretty much. And yeah, good, good knockouts this year. I mean, it's, it's going to be a very hard year to beat next year. As I say, 2017's been absolutely brilliant for fights. Not just world title fights. Not just 
you know, domestic fights, but in all levels. I'm talking about fights in the small halls have been absolutely brilliant. Fights, you know, for European titles, for British titles, for even those titles that they knock, like Southern Area titles, even those, uh, you know, those regional titles like the WBC International Belt, stuff like that. There's been some unbelievable fights this year. But of course, the very best fights this year. I mean, what, what brilliant fights have we had this year, Eyes, when you actually talk about it? I mean, Klitschko Joshua is definitely up there. Um, I'm not just talking about, you know, a brilliant fight in terms of the action or the way it finished, the way it started. I mean, just like we've seen the best versus the best in so many different weight divisions, haven't we? So many different levels to it. You know, obviously, like I say there, Klitschko, Joshua, Canelo, Triple G. I mean, I don't want to say Mayweather, McGregor, but it was a huge event for boxing. As I say, just a couple of weeks ago, as we mentioned, Rigondo Lomachenko, there's been so many. What other ones can you think of? Um, Mikey Garcia Broner goes under the radar. Yeah, um, Lalaris Campbell. Yeah, it was a good fight. I don't want to say Campbell was one of the best, but yeah, that was a good fight. Um, what else have we had? I'm just trying to brainstorm it now, out loud kind of thing. We've had... Um, you know Terence Crawford in all of his in all of his um, well mainly that fight against Indongo. The reason being is it was two unbeaten fighters for all the for, trinkets. For, at one Furman point. Garcia. Yeah, Furman Garcia. That was another brilliant fight. It, there's just been so many unbeaten fighters taking on other unbeaten fighters at a genuinely world class level, and it's just been a brilliant year. It's a very very hard um, you know year to, to to top next year if it can be done. It's been amazing, it really has. I mean, I wish that Wilder and Povetkin did actually happen. That would have been good. Or Wilder and Luis Ortiz. Obviously, we know what happened there. Wilder hasn't had a great year. Um, yeah, there would have been so many brilliant fights made. There really was. But we were spoiled in 2017. And I just hope that 2018 can somehow live up to what we saw this year. Because it has been a special year, hasn't it, Ayaz? Oh, yes, definite. Okay, and that really wraps up all the talking. We've spoke about the fighter of the year. We've spoke about the knockout of the year. We've spoke about our top 10 pound-for-pound list. We've also spoke about the latest news. We brought you the first interview. We mentioned the reviewing of all the fights that took place last week just before we wrap up this special show. And I mean wrap up with a little bit of a pun intended there as well. We're going to bring in our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBC, WBO, Ring Magazine and Lineal Middleweight World Champion, Mr. Kelly Pavlik. Kelly, welcome to the show. Hey, well, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, sir. It's my pleasure. So, Kelly, I just want to really ask you one question regarding your amateur career. Of course, you had uh, 98 fights in total, winning 89 and losing just nine. A really, uh, really great record there, looking at that, which obviously in that in that sensational record there, a total of 98 fights. Was you ever tempted to just have two more to make it 100? No, you know what? <laughs> That's actually a good question. <laughs> um, you know, the amateurs, man, we didn't, I don't even think we found out until like after a year after I turned pro, we went through my uh, passbook, you know, like, or not passbook, but the amateur book, and um, and seen that we had 98 fights. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, I, well, I think my trainer knew. I didn't. I really didn't know. I never paid attention. You know, I had such a going back. I was actually talking with a buddy about that the other day. Um, I accomplished a lot in a real quick, short period of time. Actually, in my amateurs, I won uh, right towards the end when I was still in the junior Olympics. I won two national titles, and then my second tournament in the open division. 
um, I won the under-19s, and then I ended up qualifying for the uh, U.S. Olympic trials also. And I don't even think I was in the open division a year, and then I turned pro. So I didn't have not even you know not even a year in the, the open division as uh, before I turned pro. You know, a lot of guys, you know, they made it big. You know, they were qualified in a couple of years in the um, open division in the amateurs, as were, you know, I, I didn't. And, um, you know, so the amateurs to me was more so like just trying to get as much experience. And, and that was my main goal. Um, I really looked more for like a world title instead of um, instead of the Olympic medals. You know what I mean? I I've seen the politics of amateur boxing and just like you have it in the pros too. And uh, that was one of the main reasons for not sticking around another four years. Like a lot of guys do, you know, what's to say I have, okay, just say I had like top rank and, and Cameron Duncan. And then I had uh, Lou Duba who was interested in me. I had all these guys knocking at the door just that quick of uh, being in the open division and say that I stuck around another four years and I ended up getting hurt or I got robbed again, you know, like I did against Hanshaw in the Olympic trials. Um, you know, like what, what was the state that didn't happen? So now I wasted four years and, and my stock went down, you know, which, which could happen. And um, so I, I mainly, my big goal with the amateurs was to pay attention to uh, get the experience out of, out of it and fight the guys fighting the big tournaments and, focus on you know turning pro and uh you know i had a great opportunity with, with top rank you know wanting to sign me and lou duva and all that so you know the record 89 and 9 it was cool to find out but um you know i, I didn't really pay too much to it <laughs> yeah it is um you know finding the right time to turn pro we see it happen to a lot of amateurs it's it's it's, it's a really hard decision like you say there you know because it really is like the, the the top of the tree in terms of the amateur game really is going to the olympics and if you get unlucky or you get robbed in your case or anything like that then it's hard yeah. to just go back and train for another you know three and a half years in preparation for the next one so yeah exactly I mean, turn... and you know it's a fine line it's a real fine line too on that also um you got to have some people you know a lot of guys are too young to realize what where they're at but um you get to have the right people around too i mean some guys have a style that's just not going to be made for amateurs you know i think my style i like i said i accomplished a lot just in a short period but i, I was hitting hard in the amateurs also i boxed very very well but you know, so there was there was a time when you could turn a kid pro, and there was a time also, you know, at 18 years old where you say, ah, let's let's hold him back a little bit, get more experience, and maybe slowly start working him, you know, into fighting like a pro. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you turned pro in 2000, the millennium. Um, your first full team fights were all knockout wins within three rounds, so that was very impressive. Obviously, you kept winning. And in 2005, at this point, you were 26-0. and You'd been unbeaten for five years as a pro. You fought for your first title, the NABF middleweight title, obviously against... Um, against Zuniga. Now, one thing about Zuniga was that he... He could punch like a mule. I think everybody knew that. He'd had, obviously, 16 knockouts from 17 wins at the time. Uh, he just had the one loss. It was for a world title. So it was a really hard fight, especially, you know, f for your first kind of big proper test, if you like, for a title there. He, he had one draw as well, I should mention. Now, 
Now, obviously, yeah. you found yeah. out you found out very quickly about Zoo Nigger's uh, his big punch. Obviously, finding yourself on the canvas for the first time in your professional career. Now, if you can remember, Kelly, at that very moment, what went on inside your head because you got right back up and managed to dominate him for the rest of the fight until a very confusing conclusion in his corner ended the fight. Um, yeah, what went yeah. through your head when you was on the deck in round one there? You know, to be honest with you, that's funny. Like, not you know, I was more, I was more pissed off. I mean, it was a flash, literally a flash knockdown, and it's hard to explain to people what a flash knockdown is. A flash knockdown is like when you get clipped, and you're not one bit hurt, but that split second, it feels like somebody grabs you by both your ankles and yanks them from you. You know what I mean? And uh, you go down, you know, you can't help it, but it's nothing that where you're like rocked or dazed. Um, and, and I was, I was more pissed at that point. You know, there was no urgency in me. Uh, there was no worry or anything like that. Um, it happens. It happens to people with good chins. And obviously I proved my chin in, in my career. Um, so I got up, you know, and, and my main thing was just to, to go back, regroup and, and stick to the regular game plan that we had. Um, we, we knew Zuniga was uh, a tre- in tremendous shape also. That was what was uh, the biggest part about that. Here's a kid that could hit as hard as he does, and it don't look like it on film. And uh, until you get in there, he's just one of the typical Colombian heavy-handed fighters. You know, uh, the Colombians are notorious for hitting hard. And, uh, you know, we got through it, though. It was more so like, was he, would he have been able to keep up with my conditioning and my power? And, you know, that that was a big thing in, in that fight. But, yeah, that it, it was a flash knockdown. And, and, you know, he got me on it. But nothing that went through. Like I said, I was just more upset at myself at that time. Yeah, I, I just rewatched it yesterday. I remember it was a, uh, you know, like a left hook around the back of the guard that he landed. And mm-hmm. ultimately, he, you know, his corner pulled him out in round nine. It was a little bit confusing, but we'll leave that there. Um, obviously, since yeah. then, you, you defended the NABF title against Bronco McCart, a man that had previously held a world title and had three fights against Winky Wright as well. Uh, that's really, you know, his, his main things that he was known for. Um, you yeah. became the first man to legitimately stop McCart. Um, after that fight, you you had two more knockout wins before running into Edison Miranda, a real tough guy. Everybody knows about him all over the world. At this point, you're thirty and zero with twenty seven knockouts. He was twenty eight and one with twenty four knockouts. The one loss coming to Arthur Abraham in a world title fight that went the distance. Now you became the first man to stop Edison Miranda. The knockout came in round seven. Talk us through that fight, Kelly. What a win! Yeah, that you know that fight right there. Going into it, um, you know, it was kind of funny uh, at the press conference. You know, a lot of people, were, Miranda and other people, were like bypassing me, and nobody was talking about Kelly Pavlik. And I even commented when I got up to the podium. I said, "Damn!" I was like, "I don't even think I'm fighting tomorrow." You know, I forgot. Uh, you know, nobody was talking. Miranda was more concerned about fighting Jermaine Taylor, and. Uh, you know, but going into that, the thing was that was overlooked was obviously my power. And we knew Miranda could hit. And the big thing with that fight, I seen Miranda knock a lot of people out who tried to get away from him, who tried to move because he didn't throw uh, regular punches, you know, like boxing punches. I mean, he, he put a little loop on a lot of his punches, and that's when he caught a lot of people, like them trying to move out the way, and he would catch them with that 
So my strategy being, you know, my size and, again, my conditioning and power, I said, you know, excuse my language, I said, fuck it. And I said, how about he's going to have to worry about me, you know, and I'm going to go in there and I'm going to back Miranda up and I'm not going to let him get a chance to set up on that back leg and, and fire those big right hands. And that's what we did for most of the fight besides the fifth round. I, I pushed Miranda back, which nobody's done it, and that was people thought I was absolutely crazy for wanting to do that. And um, but I, I proved everybody wrong, and I I did put a beating on on Miranda. I'm not sure, you know, how he, I don't think he was the same after that. Um, you know, the one loss that he had was against Abraham, which uh, I thought that he absolutely won that fight, um, hands down. And if that fight wasn't in Germany, you know, that's a different fight. Not only would it have been stopped, but he still would have won on points. But uh, you know, it, it was. I think that was a big fight. Of course, the Taylor fight was going to be bigger because I won the world title. But without that Miranda fight, you know, there was no Taylor fight. And what made it uh, even more better about it was the fact that after I beat Sartucci, um, they gave me the the medal. The WBC gave me the medal, and I was supposed to be the number one mandatory. So that meant like my next fight was supposed to be for the world title. And uh, after seven years of going through and, just, and staying undefeated, which is hard, you know, in a professional boxing, um, I thought that I had the title shot. And then they're like, hey, Kel, you got to fight this monster now. <laughs> I'm going, no, what do you mean I got to fight Miranda? Like, it's for the number one mandatory. I said, well, I just fought for the mandatory against Artucci. And so I actually fought for two um, mandatory uh, fights you know, number one mandatory. And yeah, that, that was a, a tough fight though. I mean, I took his shots. It was kind of like going and putting on my war outfit and saying, you know what? I hope my best, you know, could take, take shots better than his. And you prevailed there. Like you say, a, a brilliant win there. That win itself got you a shot at the WBC and WBO world champion, the undefeated with one draw though, just a minor blemish, but still undefeated Jermaine Taylor. Now, a lot of people know that you guys had both fought back in the amateurs. He beat you back in the amateurs. This time it was in the pros. It was for two world titles. You was both undefeated. Taylor was also at the time being trained by the legendary Emmanuel Stewart, who predicted a knockout win for his guy. He really um you know kind of felt that it was it would be a quite an easy win but the fight itself you had an awful bit of an awful start if you don't mind me saying kelly um during the fight you were able to sort of warm into it you turned the tide round and ultimately knocked Jermaine Taylor out in round seven now at the time of the stoppage you were behind on all three judges scorecards talk us through that fight the one that really you know, kind of elevated you into a boxing great and permanently entered your name into the history books of the sport. Yeah, uh, you know, first of all, on that, that lot, you weren't the only one. I mean, uh, numerous amount of people said, you know, about it was a, definitely an awful start in the second round. Um, first round, I won. Uh, I was winning the second round up until you know the when I got caught. Um, I thought I was ahead, you know, if not even, but ahead. And that's with the knockdown, you know, going into the seventh round. I, I thought I out-jabbed him, out, you know, pretty much out-boxed him in that fight. Uh, the third round, after I knocked him down, or after he knocked me down, I, I threw, I came back and destroyed him in that third round and threw 98 punches. Um, I know that really took everything out of him, too, that third round, the beginning of it, uh, coming off the fact that he had me out and he, he – 
blew a lot of energy and he was tired after that second round. Also, I mean, right there kind of zapped all the energy from him, I think, um, especially the way I came back in that third round. Um, overall, I mean, again, I, I thought I was winning the fight. I knew by the after the end of the third round that the fight was mine, though. I, I knew that. Um, I wasn't 100% sure how I was going to win, but I knew I, that I had to fight one. Um, you know, I knew he, uh, he was notorious for fading in the later rounds and, uh, especially after everything that happened in the early rounds. Uh, and I, I was getting stronger as that fight went on and, uh, it was huge, you know, for a while there, the first couple of years after I won that, I, I was kind of upset about the second round and, and rightfully so nobody likes to get dropped. And, now that I go back and think about it, I say, if somebody asked me, matter of fact, uh, the local news station did a 10-year anniversary this past September, and uh, the guy goes, um, Dana Ball, she goes, is there anything that you would have changed about that fight? <laughs> I said, absolutely not, you know, because that fight wouldn't have made, um, by some categories, number nine fight of the decade if I wouldn't have got dropped in the second round. You know, me getting dropped and getting up off the canvas – unfortunately made that fight, you know, one of the top middleweight fights of all time. And um, so now, yeah, you know, it's just funny. The older you get, the way the, your brain changes on that. And it, it was a, a terrific fight. It truly was. Yeah, it really, really was. And there was a comical incident that followed that. You you and your father both left your paychecks in your hotel room. How did you manage that, Kelly? <laughs> No, okay. <laughs> My dad, that, that is a funny uh, story. First of all, I let it be known that my dad is tight with that. And he always, you know, took the checks to make sure. Because usually after a fight, I got post-fight interviews, drug tests, this, that, everything else going on. And my, my dad can't squeeze a penny through his butt, let alone, you know, something like that. And the whole situation, the way it happened was... Everybody came up to the room after the fight. I'm talking about like 30 to 40 people in a small hotel room. And we didn't get done with the post-fight conference and everything else. I mean, it was almost 2 in the morning. We were flying out. Uh, we were leaving for the airport at 6, too. Um, so everybody was in there, and he was trying to hide that as good as he can. And he had it. He didn't want to lose it. And by the time we kind of started clearing everybody out of the room to, to get home or get to the airport, which we had to leave at five to, you know, to get to five, five thirty. Uh, he, he looked in a limo on the way to the airport and he was like, Oh shit. He goes, you're going to kill me. And, uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he forgot it because of every, how busy it was. Like I said, though, I mean, it was nothing to really worry about. Nobody, nobody could cash that check. You know, it takes six, seven days on it. And, um, top, you know, we just called top rank. They, they canceled it and, and, uh, you know, send us another one. But, yeah, it was kind of funny. Of all people to do that, him to leave the check, was uh, that's what was really funny on the inside of it, you know, the inside part. <laughs> now, of course, that fight there, that win over Taylor, there was a rematch clause for Taylor, and he exercised that. But, bizarrely, it was a non-title fight. I know that there was something in the contract. It seems a bit bizarre um and also the weight of it, it also happened at 164 pounds it just seems a whole bit random i mean what was all that about I, well i showed that i didn't care you know i mean it, it, it's fight to fight um 
And, you know, it actually it worked out better for me. My title wasn't on the line. So, um, but again, I took it. I didn't have to jump up to 164, but I, I did just to prove, you know, that I would fight anybody and that I was the best in that around that weight. And um, we went in and I, I didn't make 160, even at that time, easy at all. So it was kind of nice for me, but I, I bet you a favor, Taylor Moore. And uh, we went in there and uh, with that fight, people said that if I didn't knock Taylor out, that there was no way I would beat him. And I showed them wrong on that. You know what I mean? I, I beat him. Um, I outboxed him and outhustled him and won the decision. So that, that made it even better. I was actually happier to to win it by decision than to knock him out, you know. And I want to ask you this question also. Obviously, in the second fight, you beat him over the distance pretty comfortably. Um, you know, and also the fact that you'd had the amateur fight with him, there was obviously a lot of a competitive feeling kind of running through you, obviously, to beat him for the world title in this rematch here. Um, I want to ask you, what was the more... I want to say the more difficult fight for you out of the two fights you had in the pros against Jermaine Taylor was it the, you know, the, the being the underdog and then and then and then pulling off the the shock upset in many in many eyes, or would it be moving up in weight a little bit to to fight him in a non-title fight and to go twelve rounds this time? Well, the main thing was it was harder to second fight. It was more difficult. Jermaine was a world champion. He beat a guy in Bernard Hopkins twice, controversial or not. You know, I thought he won slightly in those. But, you know, the fights are – it's an arguable point. I mean, people think – and, and I, I can't blame them for thinking maybe Hopkins won. But the point is, Taylor beat the guy who has the record for – or had the record. I don't know what's going on with Triple G. I didn't pay too much to that. Um but anyway, yeah, he beat a living legend twice and uh, who had records for the longest title reign in middleweight division. And, you know, going into that second fight, like I said, nobody thinks that thought that I could uh, outbox. Um, they thought the only way that Kelly thought I would beat Jermaine Taylor was by knocking him out. And I, I showed everybody wrong in that. I mean, that's from the opening bell. Um, I landed a right hand. Uh, people got to understand when you knock somebody out, you got to be fast enough to land a punch. Um, so especially clean and, and I, in the second fight I did, you know, I jumped up. It was the first time me ever going 12 rounds also on top of that. And I did it, you know, fairly good. Um, so I, I think I proved a lot in that second fight, but what made it harder was again, Taylor was a smart fighter. He didn't get to where he was at just on natural ability, you know? So in that second fight, him and, and uh, his trainer, they worked hard in training camp. They studied film and they, they changed a lot of things in that fight. And Taylor didn't stay on the ropes and Taylor didn't put himself in position, you know, a lot of times for me to land a big shot, you know, so that's what made it harder. He fought a lot smarter fight in that second fight also, which made it more um, satisfying for me to beat him in, by a decision, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then, obviously, you know, you, you moved down a little bit, lost a couple of those pounds, and then defended your title for the first time. This was against 
the WBO mandatory challenger, which was Britain's very own Gary Lockett. Gary uh, is well known these days for being a boxing trainer. He also makes regular appearances on Box Nation for the late uh, the late night international fights. Now, you made Lockett take a knee twice in the second round and once in the third round, which at that moment forced Enzo Calzaghe, of course, the father of Joe Calzaghe, to throw the towel in. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was it was pretty much a easy quick win for yourself there um just before we move on from that victory anything you want to add to that one i know that gary lockett never fought again after that as a pro yeah you know good he's a very cool kid i have uh, total total respect for him and i'm glad he's doing what he's doing now and doing well um but that you know that fight right there guys get it i came off of um fighting as artucci then obviously miranda and then Taylor twice, um, <laughs> it was kind of deserving, I guess, you know, to say, um, to get a fight like that. Um, but I did what I was supposed to do, which a lot of times uh, top guys don't do that. You know, when they fight, guy, when they make a drop down to fight a guy like that, it's either boring or ugly or, you know, they go to distance. And I, I give myself credit is because I went in there against an opponent that I was supposed to beat. There was no question about it. And um, and that puts a lot of pressure on you, too. I was pretty nervous for that fight uh, because of that reason. Like, I wasn't nervous about losing or anything like that, but I was really had a lot of pressure about performing well. You know, um, because that's a big thing when you fight a guy like that, especially coming off the fights with Taylor was how I was going to look in there and how I was going to beat him. And I, I was fortunate enough to go and just obviously be very dominant, and um, that, that paid off really good. And then, of course, came the Bernard Hopkins fight. Um, it was it was originally at a catch weight of 170. Now, I found that a little bit strange. Obviously, it was also a non-title bout. Bernard was coming off his loss to Joe Calzaghe, and... Um, one thing that you had in common that you touched on earlier is you both had back-to-back rematches, if you like, with Jermaine Taylor. Um, you know, you beat Taylor twice, and he, being Bernard, lost to Taylor twice. And at the time of this fight, you were 34-0. and 0. You'd gone longer than eight years unbeaten as a pro. Um, it all, unfortunately, seemed to unravel for you on this particular night at the Boardwalk Hall. Walk us through that fight, if you can, Kelly. Well, there, there was a lot for that fight, and, and a lot of it's well-documented. Um, and Garcia, a funny story, a small, how small the boxing world is, is that, you know, Garcia was a big part of that, and, and he ended up becoming my, my trainer at the end. But um, taking that away from Bernard, and I, I've seen him at the uh, Canelo Triple G fight, and I have the most uh, most respect for Bernard Hopkins and, and uh, his career, and I think that he is definitely guaranteed a Hall of Famer. And just a tremendous fighter, and I said it was an honor to, to even be in the ring against him. But going into that fight, I sparred literally. I guess let me start if you don't mind. I got to start from the beginning on this to really because I never really touched on it, and now I, I think I can because I'm not making a comeback and I'm retired for good. So this don't make or break anything for me. Um, I was the reason why the Hopkins fight originally happened was. I was supposed to fight Paul Williams and Paul Williams, who was uh, actually a welterweight, even though he was taller than me, the fight just kept falling through. And for some reason there was uh, rumors going around talk that 
I kept backing out of the fight. And I didn't back out of the fight. There would be no reason why I would run from a welterweight, but yet jump two weight classes to fight a living legend. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of like wiping your ass before you shit. Don't make no sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like that. Um, yeah, it, it truly don't. Um, yeah, I'm going to run from a welterweight, but I'm going to jump up two weight classes to fight Hopkins. And again, this was back in two, this was almost 10 years ago too now. So this wasn't Hopkins who fought uh, Joe and, and, you know, Kovalev. Um, so with that being said, I, there was no no big fight out there. And you got to understand the pickle that I was in. I have these people saying that I was afraid to fight Paul Williams. And then I had the injury, okay, or the staff infection for Paul Williams. And, you know, and, and it was in the Sports Illustrated and, and Ring Magazine. They even showed a picture of my hand and me at the Cleveland Clinic. So now I, I, I – and then I fought Gary Lockett. Okay, so – I couldn't take another Gary Lockett type fight because people were already snickering around about me ducking Paul Williams. And now what would they be saying if I fought another Gary Lockett? So I was tied up there and believe me, I pay attention to what people say and I wanted to be an all time great middleweight. So I was really caught in a hard spot. So I said, well, I talked with uh, Cameron Duncan and top rank and, they said, well, I think the only possible matchup out there right now for you is Bernard Hopkins. And I said, all right, you know, um, dangerous fight. Bernard Hopkins is, is unbelievably crafty and, and everything else is smart. You know, I had the confidence that I beat Taylor twice, though, who beat him twice. So going into that, I say, screw it. We'll take the fight. Then they say, well, it's at 170. It's going to be at a catch weight, 170. And I said, I'm not even, I mean, I, go, I haven't even had a fight at super middleweight. I mean, I had the second Taylor fight, but that was still four pounds less than the super middleweight limit. I said, and now they want me to jump up to 170. And actually, the original was supposed to be 172. It was, but we got it down to 70. And uh, I said, you know what? Screw it. Let's do it. And because I was in that big of a jam that I didn't want the lashing of, of you know, fighting another, um, I don't use the term bum in fighters, but a non-significant fight and I didn't want to end uh, the backing out or supposedly backing out of the Paul Williams fight. So I, we took it and along with that being said, I ended up getting bursitis in my elbow and and eventually, shortly after that, I had tendonitis. So I literally sparred three times for the Hopkins fight for the entire training camp, three times. And uh, I remember there, there was talks of it. And actually, I was just talking with Bruce Champler at the Lomachenko fight, and we brought that up, uh, like what we could we have done different about that. And um, if I would have backed out or postponed that fight, it would have been devastating to my career. Um, first of all, all the Youngstown fans had already bought tickets. Um, and then by backing out of it again, now, like what I just mentioned with the rocket or the locket fight and the Paul Williams fights, uh, backing out, I was kind of like, if I, if I pull out this now or postpone this fight, it's over. I mean, you know, there's nothing I could do. So I sucked it up and then we get to Atlantic city now. 
on a, oh, we get there Wednesday, and on Thursday, the day before the weigh-in, this is where Robert Garcia comes into play. I end up coming down with bronchitis, and I'm in the uh, my hotel room, and we're trying to figure out how we're going <laughs> to how we're going to clear this up by Saturday without the Hopkins camp finding out. So I go to we go to uh, we had a doctor there, and he says get the um, get an inhaler. And well, his doctor is not familiar with boxing; it was just a regular uh, family practice doctor. And we call down to the one our cornerman goes, "You you might want to call down to the commission and see though." So we call down to the commission. And we ask if it's okay to get an inhaler for for um, like an asthma inhaler to break up the uh, the congestion in my chest. And they say absolutely not because there is a steroid in it, and it will show up in the drug test. So now we had to figure out what we were going to do. We ended up getting an oral prescription for um, the bronchitis, but we put it in Stephen Luebeno's name, who was the co-main event, who was trained by Robert Garcia. And Robert still remembers. That was the first thing he mentioned when I went to him to go train. And uh, we put it in, in Luebeno's name so that way the Hopkins camp wouldn't find out. You know, because in boxing, you always try to find out everything to get the edge. So just overall, it, it was just uh, it was just bad, bad timing for that fight. And, and fight night, I was I was so lethargic. I mean, I've seen things that he was doing and I wanted to I wanted to counter it. And I remember telling Jack and it might even have been on uh, HBO when they show us in the corner. I remember saying, like, I'll get loose. I'll get loose. But, you know, I'm. I'm tight, and then after the second round, I went back and I told Jack in the corner, I go, yeah, I was like, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm going to warm up. I'm going to warm up. Finally, after the third round, it was just one of the nights where I didn't want to get stopped. I didn't want to get knocked out, you know, so it was just like try to get through the 12 rounds, and it was it was the longest 12 rounds that could possibly ever be. And um, one of my, my worst fights. Uh, but Unfortunately, you know, the outcome was, you know, he, he beat me hands down. And uh, I still learned a little bit from it. Um, again, it's hard to learn a lot from something when I wasn't at my best and, and, and I didn't, you know, like if I was at my best and I just had a bad night, there's a lot to go back to the drawing board and work on, you know. But I couldn't beat myself up on it too much, and, and I didn't. Um, so, we, you know, at that, we, we leave it. We leave it with that, and and you're like one of the really the first people that I've ever, you know, that's a true story. And you could you could ask uh, Robert Garcia, you know, again, like I said, that was documented. But you know, it's something that you got to deal with. I mean, it's not a setback. I didn't lose to Gary Gary Lockett. You know, I lost to a a Hall of Famer. Yeah, no, one of the best, one of the best, one of the best of, of all time. So. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Thank you for the, uh, the the exclusive there, by the way, I must say. Um, obviously, you know, that fight was a 12-round fight. There were some punches after the bell, mainly on Bernard's part. It looked like maybe you wouldn't, um, you know, be shaking hands or hugging each other moments after. But after the decision was announced, Bernard came over, and I remember hearing him say to you, um, from what I could hear, what the mic picked up, he said, don't let this fight destroy you. This will either make you or break you. 
the way he was talking was a tiny little bit patronizing, I suppose, at the time. Did you let that fight, you know, make you or break you mentally or destroy you physically in any way? No. And of, and of course, there was rumblings of that it did. You know what I mean? And um, for a guy who, you know, I finished my career at 42, which was a, a phenomenal record. But uh, no, it didn't. And Bernard showed a lot of class. And and that's one thing that he didn't get, you know, a lot of in his career because he liked to make a lot of noise at the press conferences and everything. He didn't do it at mine, too. You know, he, that was another thing that was kind of weird for us. You know, he didn't talk any mess before the fight. Um, that, that we, we found that weird. But uh, he was very, you know, he didn't have to do that after that fight. Um, and that just showed what type of person and, and the class act that he is. And, uh, of course, I listened. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he he said a lot of things that that was uh very true. So, you know, there's a guy there. I think that he's he does really good commentating, but he also could be a um tra- a great trainer one day if he ever decided to do it. Yeah, I agree with that totally. Um, I mean, you know, he didn't talk any trash in the press conference, and a little bit of me probably thinks it. May I think have I was been... the only fighter that he never did, huh? Yeah, I mean, he was coming off the loss to Joe Calzaghe, wasn't he? And he did say in that, in you know, in the build-up to that fight, famously that he'd never lose to a white guy, and he did. And then he was yeah. fighting another white guy and yourself. Maybe he just didn't want to jinx it. Who knows? <laughs> but um, obviously, after that fight, you know, because it wasn't it wasn't for the belts, you, you'd moved up for it. You were still the WBC and WBO champion at one sixty. And, you know, you went back down, defended your belts, obviously going back down in weight like that sometimes doesn't pan out well. But just four months later, you took on Marco Antonio Rubio, who at the time was 43 wins into his career with 37 knockouts. He had four losses and one draw. He had more knockouts than you'd had fights at the time, Kelly. And you got in there and made his corner pull him out on his stool after nine rounds of being dominated. Brilliant win once again. Yeah, you know, that fight right there is I've been talking about a lot recently, and mainly why I've been talking about that fight. First of all, yeah, coming back down from 170 and defending my title, which, you, you like you just said, too, you don't see many people do that or do it successfully, and uh, I did. But the reason why I've been talking about that so much recently was just a couple years later after that, he went in and was the first person to stop David Lemieux who for some odd reason is still relevant in the middleweight division, and I don't understand it. <laughs> I truly don't. I even mentioned it on my podcast. But um, he stopped him, and, and Lemieux was 25-0 and 0 with 25 knockouts at that time. And, uh, and again, that was two, two and a half years maybe, around about after I uh, beat Rubio. Uh, Rubio was a very strong fighter. Um, tough, but I neutralized all that in that fight and, and uh, you know, dominated it. Uh, I thought it should have been stopped actually around round or two before that. And, um, yeah, but, you know, that's why I use that. Uh, everybody still talks about, for some reason, Lemieux is this great fighter, and he hits this hard, but, you know, he obviously didn't hit that hard to stop Rubio, and actually he got stopped. So I, I kind of use that as a measuring stick for why David Lemieux still relative in, in the top 10 of boxing in the middleweight division. But I guess when a weight class really, you know, other than Jacobs and, and Triple G and Canelo now, who just recently moved up, um, you know, you got to have a room somewhere in the top five. So 
But Rubio, that was, I think that was a good fight to come in there again against a, a very sturdy opponent, and then but win it very convincingly. And that just goes to show when people say, um, "Well, Hopkins took everything out of them," they have to, they must not really follow the boxing game very close because Lemieux was one of the high, uh, very highly ranked and, and touted uh, middleweight at that time. And when, when Rubio beat him and what I did to Rubio, literally the next four months later, somebody that was, you know, destroyed mentally from a loss like that wouldn't have done that to a Rubio. Yeah, not a chance, not at all. Um, when you were just naming the, you know, the current 160 top guys, I see that you failed to, to mention Billy Joe, the guy that really beat the, well, beat the devil out of Lemieux, if you like, the other night, of course. Yeah. Well, Going on that, uh, you know, and I, I mentioned that as I said earlier on my my show, uh, Saunders is good, and I'm not taking nothing away from him. I just think that people are rushing way too quick. Again, he beat Lemieux, who I don't see how Lemieux is even in the top ten right now. Still, um, he's got some moves, but I personally, I'm not saying that he won't be be a top guy in that weight class. I just personally don't see him right now beating a triple G and definitely Canelo and there, and people will say, Oh, Canelo uh, can't box. Canelo could fight. Canelo could box. And, and uh, Danny Jacobs, you know, you still got it that way. I think a good fight for him right now, his next fight would be against like a, a Charles, you know, um, I don't think Charles is, is going to be a, a Big, big threat at middleweight division as long as the Triple G's and Danny Jacobs and Canelo's are there. And I think that that would be a good fight to really see where Saunders is at. If he beats Charlo uh, convincingly, then you say, you know what? This guy is legit. So yes, I, I just think, I think, um, you know, and I hate to say because, again, he may be, he may be the next uh, future of the, of the weight class. But for what I'm seeing, I, I got to see more against a top, you know, a, a higher level guy. So, Lemieux was tailor made for him that, for that fight. Yeah, I agree on that. I mean, like you say, there's there's a lot of good fights for him out there. I like I like all those fights that you mentioned there. There's there's a real mixing pot of talent at once. Yeah, because Charles is just coming up too, uh, and and uh, up to the middleweights actually from junior middleweight. Yeah, so. Yeah, and I don't, you know, like I said, I'm not that big on on him at the middleweight division. But again, it's too early to, to even really say that. I'm going to, <laughs> but uh, so I think that would be a good matchup for them because for Charlo, that Saunders is not a big power puncher at all. So you don't have to really worry about that that fact of it. You know what I mean? And um, I think that would be a good test to see where where he's at. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, I don't want to really go off topic here because obviously we're here to talk about you. But I mean, we got Billy Joe here that you know beat beat Lemieux, really schooled him. You know, took the O from Chris Eubank Jr., who I have to admit is pretty untested, really. But you know, he seems to be, he seems to look very good. You know, everybody thinks he's going to be the next, you know, the next best thing. Obviously, you know, yeah. he took the title away from Andy Lee, who's another guy that can just switch your lights out in one shot. So. 
I don't know. There's he's took quite a few guys O's as well. He's he's really won every title, literally from like you know like area level in in the UK, which is really low level, right up to yeah. English and and I think maybe he might have skipped British, but he went on to you know European and and obviously Worlds. Now he literally has won every title available to him, really, you know, and kept his O for all yeah. that. <clears throat> And listen, you gotta understand. I, I, I'm a huge fan of, of uh, UK fighters because you know from England and and all over. I got a big following too, so you know it's like the mutual respect thing, and, and it's awesome. Don't get me wrong, but I, I called this the other day when he was fighting. I texted my co-host uh, James Dominguez, and he agreed too. He goes, "Holy shit!" He goes, "I didn't even think of that," and it was that Saunders fights identically to a Sergio Martinez. I mean, almost every punch they throw, the way they throw them and the moves is just like each other. But I just think that Saunders is a very, um, he's an unpolished Sergio Martinez right now. You know what I mean by that? How I'm putting it? So, yeah, 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 totally. But if you go back and watch that, you know, their styles are, are identical. I mean, they even throw the jab on an orthodox fighter. They even throw their jab the same way when they're moving to the uh, left of, of the uh, orthodox fighter. You know, they throw the jab up over top of the shoulder. So. I'll have to but, certainly look yeah. out for that. But no, I, li- I like that observation. It's certainly, uh, you know, a good one. And a, and a good man to be fighting yeah. like, of course, Sergio was a brilliant fighter. But yeah, moving back to what we were talking about there, you'd you'd just beaten Marco Antonio Rubio, then you went on to fight Miguel Espino, a guy that wasn't really much of a big name, I suppose. You knocked him out in the fifth round after having him down twice in round four. That would be your last successful world title defense, which was your third successful defense. Um, Then, finally, the fight happened between yourself and Paul Williams, but due to... Well, sorry, it didn't happen. It was supposed to happen, but due to some... I think the second time it was was supposed to be. Yeah, the second time. But due to some antibiotic reaction um, that you were on at the time, your body reacted terribly to him. You nearly died. Um, You know, another another shocking story in in a, in a brilliant fighter's life it seems to just uh, just riddle these these crazy these crazy situations where people nearly losing their lives seem to just riddle great fighters lives can you talk a little bit about that kelly what 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 really happened there it seems crazy yeah that was um you know that's why you know my higher power what really makes you or make, could make some people you know believe in it and really get strong with it um that the I ended up it started off as a staph infection or uh yeah, you know, but it was like a scab and I had it through just the two months of training. Um, never paid attention all the years I fought, you know, I had a little scab on my knuckle and I just kept going to training though, you know, the same I I washed my hand wraps once a week and the gloves we didn't wash them. You know, it's a boxing gym. And uh this little tiny scab turned into a staph infection. And uh of course, I went to a local doctor in Youngstown, and it's not picking on Youngstown. It's just, you know, you got to find the top hospitals when you start getting, I realized a little too late, you got to pick the top hospitals somewhere close or even if it's far away to go to when you have something as serious as staff or any other illness. That With that being said, uh, yeah, it then it turned into, we went there and they kind of screwed up on it and then surgery. So then it turned into uh, MRSA, MRSA. And so then they put me on a pick line and a oral 
um, antibiotic. And it took a while for that reaction to really come through, though. It was probably about two and a half, three weeks into being on the medication, and uh, I started getting a, a reaction to it, like I was getting a fever. And I, I looked at my dad and, and my mom and everybody else, and I said, how the hell am I getting a fever? How am I getting sick when I'm on, like, two of the strongest antibiotics that anybody could be on, you know? And uh, finally it got real bad the next day. And what's funny where, I, where it comes into play was I was in, at my house and we were supposed to go up, up. I had an appointment to go all the way up to Cleveland to check on my hand. It wasn't the infection doctor or nothing. It was the hand doctor who did the, sur- the second surgery on my hand. And I was so sick. And, and uh, we had a new guy coming out to change the, the medications. Um, that's what they were thinking may have been the problem. And if, they, if that guy would have came and brought the new dosage, I probably would have died right there on the spot. And also, my dad could easily have said, uh, hey, you know what? He's not feeling good. We're not going to put him in the car and drive an hour north, you know, to Cleveland. And um, But my dad, you know, he goes, you know what? It's probably better off that we go up there because something ain't right. So at least he'll be in a hospital. And uh, they took me up there, and we went to the hand doctor, and I got into his office, and I laid on the bed, you know, those the medical beds, and I just, like, started falling asleep. And I guess I, I was already asleep, and my dad told me what happened. The doctor looked at my dad and said, he's got to go upstairs. And they took me up, and the next thing I know, I wake up, and it's, you know, three days after or two days after I entered, and I had the red man syndrome in my ears. I looked like, like the elephant man. <laughs> um, I was swallowed up. And yeah, it was a very close call. Yeah. I don't play around with that no more now. No, no, not at all. It's uh, yeah, really, really horrible incident. Yeah, if my dad would have said, you know, stay home. Yeah, if my dad would. You know, that's what I'm saying. If my dad would have said, hey, stay home. Um, you know, I will get you in tomorrow around here or something like that. I probably wouldn't be here. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a real close call. It's uh. Yes, I mean I've done loads of these interviews with people that have been in situations where they've nearly died. It's just it's mad, it's mad. But like I say, um, you know, f- thank thank the Lord, thank the Lord. <laughs> yeah, yep, that's what you father, believe. <laughs> and your father, and your father, and your father. Yeah. Um, now after that, the next fight after that 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 incident was the Sergio Martinez fight, right? Yes. Okay, so you know, after after such a crazy medical thing like that, you decide to come straight back in against Sergio Martinez. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure where those fall. I'm sorry to interrupt on that because when I was talking earlier, I know before one of the fights with Williams because Paul Williams fight fell through twice, mm-hmm. and that was before the Hopkins. I, I'm not sure to say. Yeah, the second one had to have been before the Martinez fight, though. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah, but the Martinez fight, that was another one. Now, again, this is going to sound like, like the Hopkins, kind of. But um, this one, again, they mentioned it, though. That You know, the commentators mentioned it during the fight about how, how the struggle I had of, of making the weight for that. And, um, you know, about the treadmills and stationary bikes in, in my hotel room. That fight there, Martinez was slick. Slick fighter and... um but in the middle rounds, I, you know, I, I controlled the middle rounds. Actually, I believe I was up on the scorecards going into the ninth round when the fight turned. 
Um, and that was, that was a matter of uh, just hitting a wall. I hit the wall in the ninth round, and, and people say about the cut. The cut was so bad, and that, that had to do from the dehydrating and rehydrating. Um, I, I don't think it would have mattered who the cut man was um, for that fight. I forget how many cc's of a gentleman they put into it. It didn't even slow it down at all. But uh, that, that that ninth round, but even if the cut wasn't there, um, you probably would have done the same thing. You know what I mean? I, I just nothing I could do. Um, I think now that I go back and I, and I talk about that fight, I was always worried about, again, I worried more about what people were going to say than what I should have worried about. And I think I should have just came in, you know, like a pound heavy or even a pound and a half heavy. God, guys do it all the time now. And if they would have, and they could have took me, took the belts and stripped me of my titles. Um, cause it was my last fight at middleweight anyways. You know what I mean? I, I wasn't ever going to fight at middleweight after that. And so what would it have hurt me if they took my belts? You know what I mean? And, um, I think, you know, that, that's something I was talking with Bruce Champler again, just two weeks ago at, at the Lomachenko fight. And he agreed, you know, he goes, yeah, but we can't go back and, and redo it. And, you know, like I said, the middle round, I, I got a little spurt there. And you, you watched the fight. Actually, my one buddy watched it. He said he never really watched it after the first time because I lost. And he even says how controlling I was in the middle round of that fight. But, um, again, there's nothing you could do about it. Uh, the, the weight was a, it was an issue. And, yes, Maybe it was just better that I still, you know, personally, I know I went down to 160 and I did what I could do. And I don't know if I would have felt even to this day that good knowing that if I went in at 161, 161 and a half, that I had that pound and a half uh, difference. And if I would have won, how how happy would I still have been knowing that I came, you know, that I didn't make the weight. You know what I mean? Because to me, that, that makes a big difference. That pound and a half makes a huge difference and that could have made a huge difference if I would have won that fight and if I would have done that. So I guess the moral of it is, would I, would I have been happy if I came in at 161, 161 and a half, and I beat him? Would I be happy today? You know, because in the back of my head, I'd be like, well, it was kind of like cheating. You know what I mean? Or do I still live with the fact that, well, why didn't I just come in at 161 and a half? I wasn't going to fight at middleweight anymore anyways, and I killed it. I literally just took everything out of me to make the weight. You know what I mean? It was, it's one of those situations where it's kind of a no win for me, but, um, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't have been satisfied, you know, beating him, but weighing 161, 161 and a half, you know? Yeah. Hindsight's, hindsight's a thing which can drive you mad at times. Um, what I do want to yeah. just point out there is that that was, Sergio Martinez, second fight at 160. He was coming off a loss to Paul Williams at the time. Um, obviously, the fight went 12 rounds, a fight where, you know, Martinez did pretty well in spurts of it. I think, as you say, you were good in the middle rounds as well. Um, you dropped him in the seventh round as well. I want to ask you also, this was obviously your second loss and final loss of your career. What was... Well, how tough of a loss was this compared to the Hopkins one? What one was worse for you? This one, because it was in my weight class, and uh, again, I, I you know, but I just explained like that. That even right after that, that bothered me. Like, 
it was kind of like with the team, you know, my team. You know, I, I think that we should have had a bigger sit down. We should have thought that through a little more, um, especially you know, halfway through the camp um, when, when we were just struggling, you know, with the weight. Um, 160 at that age, at 20, uh, 29, 28 years old, it's hard to keep that up for that long. You know, almost uh, 10 years. Uh, the older you get, is just it's nature. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh, it's what happens. It gets harder to make weight, and I, I don't know. It, it didn't. It bothered me more because the Hopkins fight, I knew, I knew it was out of my reach, out of my control, and um, the the Martinez fight, knowing how good I did, and it was actually easy in the middle rounds. Um, and then you know a year after, um, Martinez is, it was good friends and trained with a good friend of mine, uh, Roger Romo. And I thought the knockdown was a flash knockdown, you know, and uh, I guess he told Roger that it wasn't, that he was, he really got hurt from that. And that was the hardest puncher that he ever fought. And Sergio is a really nice guy. Truly is. Um, I got a lot of respect for him, but it was harder on me than, than the Hopkins fight because I felt like we could as a team done a little bit different before. You know, made some different changes, but again, on the flip side of that, where I say, if we would have said, you know what, screw it, let them take the belts, we're coming in at 61, 61 and a half, and I would have won. I don't know how good I would have felt still. Yeah. So, like I say, hindsight, just a tough fight. A, yeah, yeah, just yeah, tough, yeah. Tough, so, tough all around. Everything about it. And then, of course, you were set to move up to super middleweight, as you said there. That was going to be your last fight at 160. However, at the time, it emerged that you were battling an addiction to alcohol. Um, when roughly did that problem start for you? And when, you know, how long did it take you to get over it? When did you get over it? How difficult was it to overcome? I know that you, you know, you visited rehab for help as well. Yeah, you know, it was, it was just a, a phase of fun. You know what I mean? Um and it got out of out of hell a little bit. So you then, of course, returned to the ring after being inactive for the longest period in your career, which was thirteen months. Because I want to, I want to tell. Well, I, was, I t- may as well tell you now. You were very, very active, and uh, there's there's one question I've got at the end about about how active that you were. Um, like I say, there the longest layoff, thirteen months. You returned against the unbeaten, twenty-one and zero with sixteen knockouts, Alfonso Lopez. Uh, you won the fight via a majority decision over 10 rounds. Since then, you fought three more times, defeating Aaron Jacko in two rounds, Scott Sigmund in seven yeah, rounds. That, go on, go on, jump that, in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. That Lopez fight, um, it, was, it was closer. I mean, he actually, I think that was above the 168 uh, class, too. And um, we, we went into that one, and... and uh, yeah, he, he, it was a good fight. I, mean, I, I won it convincingly. And um, but what's her name? Uh, Bird. She, she was. Everybody else had it. You know, unanimous me by. Uh, I want to say like eight rounds, and um, she was the one who had it a draw. So I don't know if, on, as far as the majority goes on that. Yeah, because actually, when that whole thing went down with the Triple G Canelo fight, and uh, you know, with her, they pulled up this big sheet on like notable fights that she did. And mine was one of them against Lopez, like how bad of a scoring it was. And, uh, I seen that and I was like, Oh my God, uh, 
But yeah, Lopez. Yeah, we that was another fight though where we we fought above the um, super middleweight limit. Yeah, um, no, like I say, a good win. But like I say, a bit of a tough fight to come back to. Really, a guy that was twenty-one and zero, obviously coming off a layoff like you had because you were very active. Mm-hmm. Um, like you say, they're a bit of a dodgy card. One of the judges, no surprise. Um, yeah. Since then, you fought three more times. Like I say, defeating Aaron Jacko in two rounds, Scott Sigmund in seven rounds, and Will Rosinski by unanimous decision over ten rounds in what would be your last appearance in a boxing ring. Now I've got to ask you, Kelly. A lot of people believe that you still had something to offer that you perhaps retired prematurely as I say you were a pro for 12 years which isn't really the longest amount of time but I think what some people forget is the fact that you were ridiculously active during that time 42 fights in 12 years which is the equivalent to seven fights every two years which is very active especially at the level that you boxed at but since retiring over five years ago now have you ever at any point been tempted to come back and if so when uh, got the, the no lie. I got the itch here and there. Um, <laughs> you know, there there was all these speculations and and everything for for years. You know, the, the five years now and even then, and I, I could tap on exactly what came about. Um, after that, after the Lopez fight, um, I pulled out of a fight in Youngstown because it was negotiated horribly, um, and it was kind of out of uh, top ranks hands that promotional because the fight was going to be in Youngstown and um, the other people were kind of like co-promoting the four top rank and it came down to the point of like I had no fight contract and we're two weeks out from a fight and um, I was really pissed about it and you know it was kind of inside and I don't want to like talk too much about it but I I was just very upset the way it all came down and and went about and uh, so I pulled out. I mean, it was just that that simple. Um, I wasn't going to be a part of it, and I wasn't going to help assist these people in making extra money pretty much off of me. Um, I was too far advanced in the career. Uh, but usually that happens to two guys who are up and coming or already like journeymen, you know what I mean? Um, and I wasn't that guy, so I wasn't falling for it. I wasn't going to have it. And then – Top rank came though, and they kind of had enough too. And not, not so much with me, but I just think the whole scenario and one. And they gave me an ultimatum um, after that. And the ultimatum was that I'm going to go to California and train with Robert Garcia, or that they're going to freeze me, you know, and, and I'm not going to fight. So I kind of had at that point. It took a lot out of me because I have, you know, usually when you up and leave to go away to a training camp is at the beginning of your career. You know, like when you don't have kids, you're not a world champion, and you don't have a shitload of money in your account. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's when, like, you go away for training. And here I had two young kids, and um, I was world champion. I was a three-time world champion for three years, and I had a bundle of money, or I have a bundle of money in my account. And, uh, it took a lot out of me, but, but I did it. And, um, I must say when I went to California to train, it was unbelievable being with Robert Garcia and learning, um, you know, different things. You know, at first I was hardheaded. Um, I was used to one thing and I, in my head, I was saying, well, what else is somebody going to be able to show me, you know, that ego thing? Like, 
I've seen it all. I've fought the best. I, I have world titles. Who's going to show me what I don't know? Well, I was a little <laughs> a little surprised once I got out there. And, and it was truly neat. And it was a great experience. And um, I fought Aaron Jaco, which was not even the Gary Lockett. Um, then I came back and fought uh, Scott Sigmund now. And I was gone for, at that time, already like four months straight four and a half months straight for my kids. And, um, and then I, I fought Rosensky and it was kind of like, wow, you know, like I understand I got a new trainer, but you know, at this stage of my career, I'm fighting these guys. And, uh, then the, we, we had the big opportunity came now, mind you at this time, I'm already kind of, I'm, you know, the kids are giving me a, really having a hard time with me leaving. And, uh, it was just getting really hard at that stage. And I was kind of losing a little bit, you know. Um, I was pro 12 years, but also you mentioned about the amount of fights. I mean, Miguel Cotto just retired now, and he only has five more fights than I do. And he turned pro the same exact year I did, same time that I did. And uh, so I did have a lot of fights. And 12 years, 12 years in the sport of baseball, they, they consider a guy a veteran and, and that his time's pretty much over, you know, in, in baseball. So can you imagine boxing? Everybody ages differently, and, and uh, it's the way it is. 12 years is a long time and to, to get hit in the head. And I just, uh, the Andre Ward fight came about, and I was really stoked about that, and I was really pumped up, and, and I really started getting motivated again. Unfortunately, Andre Ward ended up getting that, uh, he, the fight got canceled, and he had that shoulder surgery, and he was out for a good amount of time. There was actually no, not even a meaningful fight out there for at least another year. I mean, a lot of guys were tied up in contractual agreements and fights, and uh, I just said, you know, that's it. Um, I'm truly done. Um, and again, with all the rumors, speculations of why, um, you know, I haven't had a punch a time clock or, or throw a punch in five years, you know, and, and I'm doing things. I got plenty of investments. So it was just time to walk away, um, have my health. You know, I'm able to, to spend time with the kids and, and play football with them and go to the gym myself and, and uh, power lift now and do other things. Um, the itch, yes, it, it came there, especially when uh, Triple G is brought up and, and this and that, uh, you know, because I'm 35. and it's. Uh, but even back, you know, two years ago, three years ago, it, it was, uh, I get the itch here and there, but it would be just something as simple as going to the gym and hitting the bag and, and it would be gone. And I stuck to, you know, the fact that I'm done. A lot of these guys stick around way too long and, um, they're, they lose, they, they lose two or three fights. Now a lot of people just remember, you know, the fact of them losing badly and looking horrible. And, uh, that, that was, uh, pretty much the reasoning why i mean again 40 and 2 i wanted to go out on on a, on a good note uh 12 years and uh, i made promises to people close people to me that i would be retired at 30 and and that that was uh pretty much it though and the war fight even win or lose you know i really would have been contemplating um retiring shortly after that yeah no, I'm I'm happy to hear you say there that you you know you retired on your own terms, so to speak. Didn't take much punishment really, and go on too long like many many a boxer does. And you know to to remain content all this time, it's a brilliant thing. So I admire I admire you yeah. for that. 
Coming down to the last couple of questions now, really, I just want to ask you, why were you so active in your career, Kelly? Was it something that you personally felt was best for you? Was it to avoid ring rust? What was the main reason? You know what? That, that's another good question. Um, I, I That was kind of up to top rank. You know, I, I had Cameron Duncan as manager. And Cameron, I don't care what anybody says. I mean, he was one of the, the best guys to have. They put me in tough fights coming up. And to test, especially when you're, you know, it's hard. And, and now that I'm more involved in a sport and, and I'm going to eventually start training guys, actually in the spring or summer, I'm going to open up my own boxing gym. Um, I just opened, I just bought a, you know, a weightlifting gym. So uh, I'm going to be busy with this stuff. But uh, now that I'm uh, that I'm on the other side of, of it, you know, I pay a lot of attention to it. And it's hard for, for these handlers when you get a guy who, who has a lot of power. Okay, and he's knocking a lot of people out because when you're bringing them up and you're trying to bring them up the right way, you got to be careful because yeah, you want to see this guy also go to go to distance too. You know, see like how his stamina is and how he reacts when he goes past two rounds and he's not used to it. And that was a hard job for Top Rank and, and Cameron Duncan. You know what I mean? Because they had to match me and find experienced guys where I'm still inexperienced, but who could you know go to distance with me, but they, they always, they kept me moving. And, and my job at that time was sit there, be ready. When they tell me I, I'm, I'm going to fight, make sure I get my two month training camp in. And that was pretty much the uh, gist of it. And, and they, they did a great job. Um, so, you know, and I, I liked it. Don't get me wrong. You know, staying active was big, but see now the other side of it too, that I mentioned earlier, a lot of guys got their title shots after only like five years, four and a half years of, of being pro. Now, for me, it was, that was kind of hard, though, going seven years and fighting that much because in pro, professional boxing, no matter what, anything can happen on any given night. And especially the longer you go, the chances of something happening is, you know, even better of going wrong. And uh, so it was kind of stressful for that stretch, though, like, seven years until I get a title shot, you know, and making sure I stay undefeated and, and everything else. But that, yeah, that was kind of my, you know, I just sat there and, and, uh, kept myself prepared. And, and when they said fight, I fought. Yeah. Credit to you, man. Credit to you. And I want to ask you this question also, all in all, Kelly, are you happy with, with how the, you know, your, your career panned out all of it. And it's kind of like two questions in one. If you could go back and change something about your career, what would it be? If anything? Yeah, I, I'm 100%. Again, you know, I said earlier, uh, I didn't even re- realize that Cotto, his last fight, you know, again, he has 47 fights or 48 fights. And, um, I had, uh, 42, and he was pro five years longer than me. And uh, to finish at 40-2 and two and, and fight the guys and have two losses to the two guys that I had, you know what I mean? That's not bad at all. Um, I'm more than satisfied with it. Uh, if I could go back and change, I guess, now, you know, now that I think about it and, and the order you get, the little, little wiser you get, um, you know, the, the Hopkins fight, uh, maybe shouldn't have worried about what, what people would say and maybe postpone that and, you know, move it back, not cancel it, but just postponed it. Um, the Martinez fight. I don't know if I would have touched that. Maybe, uh, you, you can't go back and change it, but maybe just 
move up to super middleweight from the get go and, and not even fight that fight. But the, also, you know, but the fights define the career though too. So I yeah, guess absolutely. without those fights, you know. No, absolutely, absolutely. And also, I want to ask you who who hit the hardest in 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 your time as a pro, not just in fights, but it could be sparring. Who was the you know the guy that the guy that hit the hardest out of all the guys you mixed it with? Oh shit, shit hands down, Miranda. <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I still feel some of them punches. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, Miranda hit hard. Um, Zuniga, heavy. He, he was a different type of uh, hard puncher. Again, Zuniga was just a, a really heavy-handed, and that means it was like if he threw a jab and hit you in the shoulders, I mean, you felt it um, through your whole body. But Miranda was definitely the hardest. Um, you know, guys, certain guys that were known to have good power, like Martinez, he didn't, you know, to me have much at all. And, and there was a lot of guys. Taylor, Taylor was uh, strong, but you know, obviously he caught me. He just caught me in a good spot. Um, anybody catches anybody where he caught me, it's going to make their legs go a little bit. But uh, yeah, I definitely say Miranda. And who would you say was the best opponent that you ever shared a ring with? I'm guessing it's going to probably be. Uh, either out of Hopkins or Martinez, or, or or you might surprise me with somebody else. No, I, I honestly, overall skill wise, uh, I, I would have to say Taylor. I mean, um, what he what he's what he's done in Taylor fight. I mean, you even go back to when people say that after I beat him, he wasn't the same, and look what he did to Carl Froch. I think that was how many fights after, or I don't know how long after, two years maybe, or a year and a half. After I beat him, um, the thing about that fight with Froch was if, if Taylor just takes one more knee, he probably could afford it to take one more knee. He was so far ahead on points that he still may have won that fight. Um, but him and then I'd have to say Hopkins because the thing about Hopkins and I use him as a, a big thing on my uh, podcast show when we talk about like footwork and everything else. People think like good footwork is like flashy, dancing around the ring and and uh, moving around, and that's not like Bernard Hopkins probably had the best footwork, and and I say a kid like Mikey Garcia right now, uh, footwork is like where they can move just a little bit and take everything away from you. Like Hopkins was good at when you went to go throw a punch, he would hurry up, like jump in and smother it, or take a step, just a small little step, inches and angles. And be and have you out of position, he'd be in position, you know, um, and take the power off your punches. Uh, he threw with everybody. He was really good with that, and people don't realize that. You know, it wasn't so much him moving as much as it was the placement of his feet, you know, when he do that. So I would have to say overall, I know, like, skill-wise, but if you take his skill, athleticism, and along with the – his strategy and his brain, you know, his ring smarts, and made he's up there, you know, him and uh, Taylor. And which would you say was your best win? Maybe your most satisfying win? I'm guessing probably uh, the you know the first fight with Taylor. Yeah, it's up in the air between that and the, and the second um, Taylor. Again, you know, they're the notable ones that nobody really looks at. Um, I, I still because of like the Lemieux factor and. And then coming off the Hopkins loss, um, the, the Rubio fight was, you know, still a big one because the pressure on me fighting back in my hometown after that and uh, everything else that was just going along with it and to be able to go in there and perform the way I did in, in that fight, that I thought that was really big. Um, you know, 
obviously Miranda, boy, that, that was a big one because again, nobody gave me, gave me a chance for that one either. Yeah, for sure. And I know that since retiring, obviously you've kept very interested in the sports still. I know that you follow it as much as ever. Who are you, um, you know, enjoying watching these days? I'm guessing you're probably, you know, paying attention mainly to the middleweight division or no, in fact, you're probably knowing you, you're probably looking at all the divisions. Who do you like watching the most at the moment, Kelly? Who's some of your top fighters to watch? Yeah, you don't ask another good question. Um, you know, being in the, having a podcast show now and, and doing that, you know, being part of the media. I, this year, 2017 was a phenomenal year for boxing, and I hope yeah. that 2018, you know, carries the same weight. Um, it is great matchups and, and everything. Uh, I, I say right now the, the welterweight division is just loaded with talent. My God, I mean, you could have – four fights in that, that division and, and set boxing for a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you got Spence, who, who I enjoy watching. You got Crawford now, who's in a right around the, the 40, 47. He's debating on where, where he's going to stay at and where he's going to move to. Um, Lomachenko, I, I personally, and I had this argument with my co- co-host, um, I have him number one uh, because he beat Rigondeaux as easily as he did. And Rigondeaux, before that fight was happened, they were the two most talented fighters probably ever stuck foot in the ring. And everybody had a seesaw battle. And, and what Lomachenko did, was, and of course, there was all the excuses after, like he was bigger and, and uh, Rigondeaux was old and, and this and that. Um, but Lomachenko, I think what he's doing is just fun to watch him. Um, the heavyweight division is kind of coming back a little bit now. I think it's getting interesting with uh, Ortiz, Wilder, and Joshua. Uh, I think the light heavyweight now would um, – I'm glad to see Kovalev. Everybody was coming down on him like they do. You know, the first fight with Andre Ward was a draw, and then it was a controversial one. I I gave it to Kovalev, but it, it could have went to Ward, and then he loses the second fight the way he does the Ward, and everybody's like, I told you Kovalev was a bum and, and all this – but he came back in a fight after, and he fought a guy that he was supposed to beat, but he did it convincingly and looked sharp. And now they're talking about him with that uh, B-ball or B-ball, maybe a future uh, matchup I think is going to be huge. Um, and you got that uh, European, the Eastern European, um, who's moving to heavyweight, Usyk or something like that. Yeah, so, he's I mean, he's just a champion right now. Yeah, but they're talking about he's getting ready to make that move to uh, heavyweight. Um, so again, you know, Mikey Garcia, who's in the mix now, I mean, you may have a matchup with him and then Loma or, or maybe, um, eventually somewhere along the line at 140. Yeah, so he's just signed to, to fight Lipinets who just picked up, um, one of the titles that Terrence Crawford just vacated at 140. So yeah, he's trying to become a yeah. four weight world champ there. Exactly. And then, and who's a, a very talented fighter and one of the most underrated champions right now, I think. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, just with all those those names right now and, and the possibilities, um, uh, you know, it's, re- it's really exciting. Uh, I favor right now because I think he's the pound-for-pound pound Lomachenko after after that last fight. Um, but, again, you know, if a Spence and Crawford matchup is made or a Thurman-Spence, um, just any type of those, uh, you know, Triple G again, a rematch with Canelo, um, there's just so so many possibilities and and out there right now and and one of these guys like like a Crawford, um, you know a lot of people say Crawford is number one on earth, but I see that a lot of people think that Crawford could beat Spence. So like my big question is, 
how can you put a guy number one pound for pound if you don't think that he could beat a guy in his weight class? <laughs> you know, um, it's interesting. I mean, what I mean by that is just a really interesting, debatable situation right now and a good way for boxing. You know, there's just a lot of possibilities and a lot of good fights out there to be made. Yeah, absolutely. I, for one, would love to see that Spence Crawford fight, like you mentioned. I think that's a beautiful yeah. fight. Um, and I just want to ask but you. Of course, so what... you'll get you'll get you'll get the you know things out there too that Crawford shouldn't have fought him that early after jumping you know to 147. So, unfortunately, we're certain boxing fans, and nothing's ever good enough. So, <laughs> I know you that. Know. I know that. <laughs> And I yeah. want to ask you also, Kelly, what are you up to these days? Obviously, you just kind of dropped it, uh, dropped a little hint there a moment ago that you're looking at training fighters. You've just got got yourself a gym. Um, is that yeah. is that what's going to be happening in the near future for you? Definitely. Um, you know, I've had since I retired um, a bunch of investments. You know, from plaza, owning plazas and everything else. But those were all pretty much sit at home on my butt and you know look at my phone and see what's going on type stuff. Um, and I had that nice little break, but now, you know, it's to get back in and get hands dirty and hands on type work. And uh, this weightlifting gym is going to be fun. Of course, you know, it's going to work hopefully hand in hand. When I start training fighters, they could go to either one. Um, it, so we, we we're going to be doing that. Obviously the, the podcast show that I have now, you know, we get to travel to these fights, these, the big fights and uh, cover those and it's interesting and, and uh, keeps me busy. And I have to I have to know now who's fighting and why, make sure I watch as many fights as I can, which gets a little tiring sometimes. But uh, it's a good thing. Thank God I ain't going to lie for YouTube, too, though, because like some of the other fights, that's hard to catch. You know, I, I go to YouTube, though, and catch them. Um, so, yeah, that, that's been keeping me uh, really busy. And obviously, you know, my kids, they my daughter's in two different types of uh, – orchestra and uh this other thing and she's doing dance and my son he likes tagging along sometimes when i go to the boxing gym and and jiu-jitsu and all this other stuff so i'm busy just all around and it's good it's fun excellent man excellent excellent and finally i like to ask this question to everybody that we speak to you also said during the show that you you know you're a fan of the uk fighters who would you say is your favorite uk fighter from any era kelly i'd have to say your your guys is wild boy uh hatton just yeah just you know everything him overall you know not even so much to fight he, he just seemed like a cool dude you know um i, I definitely have to say him yeah, I mean, main, mainly we get like Prince Nassim. That's probably the, the most, the most. Uh, I would say second. He, yeah, he would be second to me. Man, Kazagi, like... you got Lennox Lewis. <laughs> Lennox Lewis was obviously a great heavy. I'm going to just overall. I mean, I, I've met Lewis, and um, I hold nothing against him saying my name wrong three times in the uh, Jermaine Taylor and Miranda fight. But <laughs> what did he say? What did he call you? <laughs> Pel- pelvic. <laughs> uh, like that. He's a tough cookie from Youngstown. That's how he would say it. Um, mm-hmm. But no, no, I like Lewis. Yeah, it's a hard question because you guys, believe it or not, you get put out a lot, um, and, and they all seem you know very cool too, like humble. And um, but that's why I say Hatton because Hatton plays darts. Um, so then I'm a big dart thrower. So that that was another reason. But Prince seemed he was fun to watch. I remember watching him when I was young. Um, you know, I was still a couple of years from turning pro. So there's, there's a lot of them, but 
The Princeton scene would be up there around two or three. I, I forgot about Lance Lewis. You know, Lewis was a cool dude. Um, yeah. I like talking to him in the uh, pre-fight thing. You know, we had to sit down with the, the guys like Max and, and Lampley and Lance Lewis. Always respected him. Um, so, yeah, handful. But I'm going to stick with Hatton right now. Yeah, no, that's that's it's, a, it's another popular answer. It's been said quite a few times when I've asked that question. And just before we let you go, Kelly, have you got any kind of message to your UK supporters? Obviously, you know, there's loads and loads of people over here who are well aware of yourself, well, you know, been been fans for years. What's your message to those guys? Hey, you know, just uh, thanks for all the support. Um, I'm, I truly appreciate it to, the, to the people that enjoyed watching my career. Uh, thanks for watching and, and you know, helping make it what it was um you know and if you want to see what what kelly Powell is up to um you don't mind if i give my no, my podcast go, go, a little yeah, of course, of course. Go, go. they can check it out um you can either just go right to the search engine and put punchline dot live and it'll take you to you know a website which is ours um or you could go to youtube and put the punchline with kelly pavlik and james dominguez Absolutely, and you're also so, on Twitter. Yes, our punchline is on on Twitter. So I'm more of just a straight Facebook guy. But um, <laughs> our, you know, our our um, PR lady, <clears throat> she she puts us on uh, Twitter and everything, and I hop in there and, and see what's going on also. So Excellent. I'm getting I'm getting good with it finally. Excellent stuff, excellent stuff. That, by the way, the Twitter is at K Pavlik Punchlin, punch actually. There wasn't enough characters to put Punchline, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, head over and follow Kelly there. Okay, listen, Kelly, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Christmas special edition of the Box Hard Podcast. Thank you for your time. I wish you the best of luck with your with your gym and everything else. We'll no doubt speak again sometime in the future, I'm sure. Hey, for sure. It was an honor, and uh, it was fun BSing with you. And again, to all the fans and everybody else, thank you. I truly appreciate it. Happy holidays. Okay, and this concludes what has been the 2017 Christmas Special Boxing Podcast. It's been our gift to you. It's also been another unpredictable Christmas podcast in which we've had two guests on that were both making their box hard debuts. A big thank you to Spencer Fearon. A big thank you to the former middleweight king, Kelly Pavlik. The current Prediction League scores are you, the listeners, on 21, Ayaz on 20, and myself at the back on 17. It's been the longest show we've ever done also and that's because it's Christmas so we decided to go the extra mile not only that but all the other boxing podcasts out there are having a break over the festive period we are not I've been your host Joey Coastman I as Summer has been I as Summer thank you so much for all your entries about your pound for pound lists and all the other stuff if there's one thing that we can ask you guys for just for Christmas it would be a review on iTunes just before I go I'd like to wish you all a fantastic Christmas I hope that you all enjoy Enjoy your day and we will see you, as per usual, next week.